I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as ghosts, demons, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. All right, guys, we're back for James Wan Part 2. We figured it was a good spot to cut it, do a backstory, do Saw, do Dead Silence, and then jump straight to the franchises. Yeah, and uh, spoiler alert, something <laughs> we keep forgetting to mention at the beginning of each episode is we go into great detail. We spoil movies. If we're covering movies that you want to see that you actually have interest in and don't want spoiled, go see them first, then come back and listen to us, pick it apart. But we go into that kind of detail, so just want to get that out of the way. And the show notes do always list every movie that we cover. However, I do say we dissect and discuss horror films. <laughs> but yeah, there, there will be spoilers, just, just like all of our episodes. I already went really in-depth on, as in-depth as I could go on his backstory. Yeah. And a lot of backstory on this film, so I guess this episode's going to be a lot of just talking about the movies. Yeah, and there are, at what, three movies out of these four break the two-hour barrier? Yeah, yeah, so they're pretty long movies, so we'll... We'll try to keep nothing but substance in here, but we'll just see how it goes because Josh <laughs> and Jesse talking. So, yeah, and then this is going to be an area where there's a uh, there's going to be some difference of opinion between the two of us. So, My uh, mind was fucking blown, <laughs> and really, like the one cool thing to take away from both of these movies is he spawned two large franchises. Well, the way things are going now, three. What do you mean between Saw, Insidious, and Conjuring? Oh yeah, yeah. No, he he definitely he spawned three franchises, but uh he was a little bit more involved with these two. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So but yeah, he's spawned three major horror with, franchises. With these he had the power. Um <laughs> He learned his lesson. Now and going with this first one here, this is what's interesting is after coming off of a couple of duds, we go with something extremely low budget that as far as return on investment blew up. And was really quite a departure and really kind of set the stage for what was going to happen over the next, what, six years? Yeah, because, I mean, he spent one point or his budget was one point five million dollars, made ninety seven million dollars in this. So this was like another saw, right? Like as far as the money. But this was like the start of him getting on a roll. Yep. And clearly we're talking about Insidious in 2010, right? This was, you could tell him building a universe starting out, which is funny because the Conjuring movies are the ones that actually became a universe. Yeah. But you could tell him like, I guess I won't, I don't want to say practicing, but like honing his skills or planting the seeds because I mean, as the insidious franchise goes, you start getting outside of this story and just using characters in a different way. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested to see how that goes, but let's, let's dive into the first movie, right? Clearly it's got some poltergeist inspiration. Yes. Primarily in the paranormal investigators than anything. And I'm, that might've just been the seed to give, James and Lee, the idea, because Lee Winnell's back again. Yeah. Not only in a writing capacity, but as an acting capacity again. Funny thing. I didn't notice until, I mean, I don't remember exactly when I figured it out, but I was a few Insidious movies in, and I saw all these in theaters as they came out okay. before. I never realized that it was the same guy from Saul. Like, I knew Adam was Lee Winnell who wrote Saul, but I never like, oh, it's the same guy in both the movies. Yeah. His appearance is, is a bit different. I didn't realize it until we were talking about doing this for the podcast. Oh, I know. Cause you're like, oh, and then <laughs> your wife got mad at you. The wife likes her some, uh, some Lee 1L. 
But our opening shot is a camera walking through the house because we know James Wan loves his tracking shots, right? Yep. And there's a family sleeping, and uh, the camera just kind of goes room to room like it's checking out people. And you can tell it's not just like a let's show the house. It's supposed to be like somebody stalking. It's got a movement sway to it, right? Yeah. We see like the silhouette or shadow of an old woman at some point, and the camera eventually rolls down a hallway, a dark hallway, and there's a creepy old woman in a black bride's outfit. I think she grabs like a firefly or something, right? And the light goes out. Something like that. We cut to the next morning, and we see the Lambert family, and they've moved into a new home, and they haven't unpacked yet, right? There's, like, boxes everywhere, and uh, Renee's the wife, and it's Rose Byron. She's going through an old photo album, and her son Dalton comes downstairs, and he's talking about how he doesn't like his room. Yeah. Right? And um, he sits down to look at the pictures, and he wants to know why there's no pictures of his father in the album, like, growing up, right? And she's like, well, your dad doesn't really like cameras. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I didn't figure it out until rewatching stuff for the podcast. The boy who plays Dalton is in Iron Man three is like one of it's one of my least favorite of the Marvel movies, but he's like a main character in that. Oh, really? And then he pops up in uh, the new Avengers movie. So it's kind of neat. Now, is it during the scene that it's like, look, we're wearing the same dress? Uh, I do know that the parents are wearing the same PJs or something in the so, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Okay. I don't think they, I don't know if they say it out or not though, but, uh, we cut to Josh, the father, who is, I think, perfectly portrayed by Patrick Wilson. I like him in all the movies I've seen him in recently, for the most part. Least favorite's Aquaman, but... Of course, I haven't seen it, so I can't judge on that one. <laughs> First thing I saw him in ever was The Watchmen. He was Night Owl, too. But See, and we talked about... I still haven't watched that shit, man. I, I like his character better in Conjuring, like, but he's, he's a fantastic actor in both of them, was the point I wanted to make. But uh, he's bothered by his gray hair and wrinkles in the morning as he's getting ready for work in the mirror, like I often am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we find out he's a teacher, and he sometimes works late hours. And um, he leaves Renee home with the kids, and she's working on music, right? And they have two sons. I don't, I guess you probably see them eating, right? It's like Dalton, Foster, and a newborn baby, Callie. Yeah. While he's at work, we just kind of see her day-to-day activities, and she starts hearing odd noises in the attic. And she goes upstairs and, you know, addicts are just creepy in general, right? And the furnace kicks on and makes a noise. And you're like, she's like, oh, it's the furnace. And yeah. really, it's similar to the same noise we heard. So we're like, oh, it was the furnace. Yeah. But it's nighttime. Josh comes home from work and Renee's unpacked a lot of boxes. And it's because she's trying to find her sheet music. Yeah. And she can't find it anywhere. Uh, we see Dalton with a sword and cape running around the house like a superhero, which I, I don't know you. And I did that as a kid, so. Oh, yeah, the whole thing with him, because doesn't he have, like, a little stuffed shark, and he's sitting there, like, rawr, with the sword and everything? Yeah, like, yeah. He's doing a great job of just he, acting like a kid being a kid. <laughs> like, you have no idea what big imaginary world he's playing in. Right, and uh, I don't think we've seen any of his artwork yet, but clearly he fancies himself a superhero when he sees artwork. <laughs> but uh, he decides to go up the attic. I don't remember, I'm trying to play this through my head, was the the ladder already down? Did he pull it down? Because he's short. It's hard for me to do it, and I'm six one. Oh, for him to get up in the attic? Yeah. I don't know. I just remember that we had a bit with a step breaking on the ladder that's up in the attic yeah. with Mom. Oh, you're right. That did happen. Like, earlier in the movie, when she went up to check out the furnace sound, like the it likes a pre-break on the step, right? Yep. She's like, oh, I got to watch out for that. But Dalton makes it up in the attic, and he's climbing on the ladder up in the attic, and it uh it breaks, and he falls, and he hits his head, right? Yeah, what is he? he cause he's trying to grab something. I don't remember what it is. I think it's the light string. It may have been. Yeah. I, I just remember it being something. But he does something that we actually start to see quite a bit in the Insidious movies, and I think a bit in the Conjuring movies, where just staring off into the darkness, and it's creepy because of the absence of knowledge, right? <laughs> like, it, it gets you a little bit, because you never know what the character sees. 
and um, parents come upstairs, you know, freaked out, make sure he's okay, right? And uh, they put him to bed, which got to wait and check for that concussion. You learn that when you're a parent. But we cut to the next morning, and uh, Renee sends Josh up to get the sleepy head or something like that, right? And uh, he can't get Dalton to wake up for school. Yeah. And they rush him to the hospital, and all they find out, there's no brain damage. They don't know what the fuck's wrong for, with him, but he's in a coma, and he's not waking up, right? Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> and um, it cuts, and he's sent home, I think it's three months later. And Renee's having to learn how to care for him. Like the nurse showing her, the nurse is showing her how to do the feeding tube and shit like that. Yeah. Cause like the whole hospital bed and monitor and all that shit is now in the house with him. Right. And it's like, they gave up. They don't know what's wrong with them. Your problem now. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you can see that like she's trying to do her day to day operation. She's trying to work on music and she just can't focus because yeah. there's something's wrong with her fucking child. She doesn't understand what it is. Right. She starts hearing voices talking on the baby monitor which is just creepy by itself to me. That's like something me and my wife always fear happening, right? <laughs> and uh, she starts to head upstairs because, you know, it, it could be interference. And she doesn't say, oh, I bet it's interference. It's like a cheesy throwaway line. But, like, you could see that running through her mind, right? Yeah. And she pauses for a second. And then the voice starts shouting at the baby and the baby cries, right? So she fucking runs upstairs. Nobody's there. So we have our first little haunting thing happen, right? Yeah. That night, Renee's tucking in Foster, their other son. And uh, she's trying to cheer him up a little bit. And he's like, I want to sleep in a different room. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, Dalton scares me when he's up sleepwalking at night. And she's like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's you in know? a fucking coma. How's he sleepwalking? <laughs> and that night, creeped out Foster, shuts his door. Because I don't think they share a room. It's just like he can see him, right? Like he can see Dalton in his like medical bed and the equipment. And he's looking out. And he's like, fuck this. And he shuts <laughs> the door. And then he starts hearing something out in the hallway, right? Like somebody's walking around. And I guess we're supposed to assume it's Dalton. Yeah. Meanwhile, Renee and Josh are in bed and she's telling him about the voice in the baby monitor. He does like the normal dad thing like, oh, it was just fucking interference from the neighbors. Right. Yeah. And they hear a noise downstairs and Josh goes down to investigate it. And he wants to make sure the doors are locked and closed, which my wife makes me do every night. <laughs> and while he's downstairs, Renee hears the baby crying again. And she runs in the room, and this part, like, jump scared the fuck out of me. The dude just <laughs> staring through the window that shouldn't be there. It's a good jump scare, but, like, as a parent, once again, it's like, mm-mm, right? <laughs> I guess there's a balcony around the house, or is he floating? I don't know. But she yells for Josh. Josh runs upstairs, and the guy's gone, right? Clearly, it was a ghost. I mean, he was, like, fucking deathly looking anyways. It could have even been, like... One of the misfits, like judging about the makeup and whatnot. See, I'm, I'm holding my tongue over here because, yeah, it looked like some painted up wrestler, dude. Though, I mean, the at least they're consistent on like how they want to do their ghost makeup, I guess, like, yeah, to separate it from other things that pop up. True. But once you've recovered from that jump scare, right, because it, it got me and you're like, oh, OK, we're good. Then the alarm just fucking randomly goes off. And that always makes me jump a second time. And I, I don't know why, but it gets me every fucking time. And Josh runs downstairs after telling the family to go lock yourself in Dalton's room, right? Which yeah. makes sense because Dalton can't go anywhere, so you might as well barricade yourself in with him. Yeah. And the door's ajar, right? The door is ajar. <laughs> <laughs> but he closes Does the door. Is that in the cube? I mean, that's just what fucking cars do when you leave the door open. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's in a movie. I don't remember which one. But he closes the door, and he you know checks to make sure it's locked, and he starts checking the house, and the fucking door opens up, and the alarm goes off again, right? You get this like cool pull away shot, which is one of those reverse tracking shots of James Bond, but it's like real fast out to the street from the house, right? And uh, that's just the way shit went down that night. And the next day, we cut to to Josh at class 
like at work, right? Because the teacher, yeah. which I feel like kind of like a rough, abrupt cut. My wife wouldn't let me go to work the next day. <laughs> I don't know if I would have felt safe leaving my wife and kids home to go to work myself. I would have made up some bullshit excuse to call in sick, right? Yeah. Because you can't say there's like a creepy ghost dude that disappeared and the door kicking open. But well, no, You say you have the flu. And uh, I kind of got a funny story about this. Like, because I'm pretty sure it was this part of the movie where Josh and I started, because we'll text during the day about podcast stuff all at work. <laughs> I know where you're going now. And Josh also knows that my wife is nine months pregnant, right? <laughs> so while I'm watching the movie and I just text Josh, I can't handle this man. And then he's like, what's going on? And I said, insidious fuck. This movie freaks me out so bad sometimes. And I said, so, you know, I had to apologize because I realized I just scared him. He probably thought something happened with my wife and the baby, right? Yeah, because I'm at work sitting at my desk when I get this and uh, I'm like, oh, my God, something bad has happened. And I'm just like, my heart racing, I'm uncomfortable, I'm jumping all over the place. This movie's creepy as fuck. <laughs> and that's when Josh is like, left my ass off and thought something happened. But I just thought it was really funny, and I had to show Josh when I got here, and he was shitting on Insidious a little bit, like where my, <laughs> where my nails are like, bit down all the way, and like, I've got like, fucking bleeding cuticles. And it's because this movie generally freaks me out, man. Like, I, it's an atmosphere thing. Like, horror movies don't scare me that much anymore, unless there's something that shouldn't be there. Out of nowhere. And this movie is chock full of that and it works on me. <laughs> yeah. And this is the one you know, so where I said we're going to have some differing opinions on the Insidious movies because I'm not going to shit on them saying they're bad movies, but there's not one thing that works for me. <laughs> it, it just doesn't. I, what, what does scare you in a horror movie? The properly done subtle jump scare, mm-hmm. like where you don't get the music stinger or. Okay, so you get, like, say you got a, a the shot with the mom walking through the room and there's something standing in the corner and it's just the camera goes by nonchalantly. She doesn't notice, but we know. That kind of stuff gets to you. For me, it's like something in the edge of frame mm-hmm, nonchalantly mm-hmm. and the quiet uh, jump scare where something comes into frame with no noise right. or leaves frame with no noise. And those are kind of similar in a way. So it's funny that, like, one works on the other. And I, I don't actually mind stings, like, on a jump scare. If it's not, like, I don't want a cat jumping out of frame and then, ta-da! but, like, uh, James Wan's actually really good at it. Like, a ghost stepping out of frame and slapping someone. Yeah. And they shouldn't have been in the fucking room. That'll get me every time. I, I think what gets me is these movies and even the Conjuring movies, have a very, very 70s feel to them, which was done on purpose. They're period movies, which that's, you know, what Juan started doing. Like, well, Insidious is modern, isn't it? Um, but the first two are anyways. Well, no, no, not not the setting, just the feel. Oh, okay, okay. Because um, even the Insidious title card and everything, it, it feels like the Omen or, you know what I mean? I forgot to make fun of the title card. It is so <laughs> fucking out of place in both of these movies. But you can tell it was like a throwback. And that's, I don't know if I'm desensitized or what, but it's, like I said, I can't say that they're shit. It doesn't work, man. I'm fucking <laughs> bored. I'm, I, I'm bored. I, I find that interesting. I was actually afraid when I gave you the Conjuring movies because I thought you were going to be like, oh, they're too slow and have too much drama. <laughs> oh, I was so fucking glad that I got the Conjuring movies, dude. <laughs> I see why when I tried to swap at one point, you're like, no, I'm good. I already watched these. <laughs> But anyways, like I said, we, we cut to the next day and Josh is at work and he's in class and uh, Billy, the puppet, is drawn in chalk behind yep. him. So that's kind of neat. And um, he decides it's, it's really shitty what he does because I guess he's tired because everything that happens. But he calls his wife and he leaves a voicemail and he's like, I'm sorry, honey, I got to stay late and grade these tests. And he's just trying to sleep on his desk. Yeah. So what a piece of shit <laughs> if you think about it. So at this point, does he think nothing happened? 
Like, cause he didn't see the guy in the window, but he has to know the door popping open with something freaky. Yeah. Or, or has he been seeing other shit too? And he just doesn't want to be there. It, it's wide open, but he comes off as a good father to me in the movie, especially when you get to the end. And like the fact that he would just leave, if he thought they were in danger, I don't think he would have left them in danger. So I think his wife, he thinks his wife's overreacting at this point. Yes, that, that, that absolutely. So he, he just needs a nap, right? But we come back to the house and Renee's, you know, cleaning and she's, I guess like checking on Dalton and, uh, she sees something on the sheets Yeah, and there's a big red handprint and some people think it's blood, but it's actually supposed to be lipstick because the lipstick demon is actually, which we'll get to him later. He's not actually red. He's black and he like draws on himself. It's just supposed to be like part of his shtick, which I kind of hope he gets his own movie. Like people were hoping insidious three went into the mythos of the demon and they did a like a prequel yeah. kind of thing, right? And then four kind of did its own thing, but you can see if they're supposed to be like different. I'm getting ahead of myself in a franchise, even shit that James Wan didn't make. But if there's gonna be these different demons with keys and stuff, you see that they're gonna come back to the lipstick face demon at yeah, some point. Yeah, because it ends up the the franchise ends up going tearing off into more of Elisa's story. Yeah, is what it really is, which was kind of smart to do. Yeah, because they had done the 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 Lambert's. To full effect. I mean, that story goes all the way around by the time you get to the yeah. end of the second one. So, like, it, it was really cool that they found a... That's the thing. Most horror movie franchises shouldn't carry the story on, and there's no room for it. And they actually did put a bow on the Lambert story. But then yeah. they used different characters in there to keep it going. And you still have Lee Winnell, at least, involved at that point. Yeah. But I'm getting I'm getting so far ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but she sees the creepy handprint, so she knows something's fucked. Yeah. And then Josh comes home from work, and it's nighttime. And uh, they get into a fight, right? She's like, you just hide from your problems, you know, this, 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 and that. And he's like, you got to learn to deal with this. And she's like, you deal with this. And just throws on the fucking sheet with the clawed handprint on it, yeah, right? I got shot daggers by the wife when she was on that rant. <laughs> <laughs> but that night, we see the camera floating around Dalton. And it's like going into black and white, which it did earlier in the movie, right? And uh, Renee wakes up from a bad dream. So it's like she was dreaming about Dalton, right? Yeah. And uh, you see someone pace down the hallway. And they pace back by and it's the lost member of the misfits again. Right. But he <laughs> fucking, uh, he comes charging in and he vanishes and it's, it's kind of a creepy scene. Cause it's just so abrupt out of nowhere. Cause you're like, Oh, they got me with the guy walking by the hallway. Shame, shame. And then he fucking charges. Right? <laughs> and, um, Renee just wants Josh to fucking believe her at this point. Right. Yeah. It's like, cause he was on the couch and she was upstairs. So yeah, he didn't yeah, see it again. Yeah. He, he's already been banished to the couch. He didn't see it again, but he knows something's wrong with his wife. And she's, I think she literally says, I just want you to believe me. Right. So, yeah. and this is another thing where Josh and I are different on. I think she plays like the mother and the wife perfect in this movie. And he feels like she's overacting. Right. I, I feel like she's high school drama club rehearsal. Uh, and and she's normally a comedic actor in most cases, but like, I don't know. I feel her pain as a, as a mother with something wrong with her kid. And like, she comes off as like an actual pissed off wife <laughs> in the, I don't know. Like that's one of my favorite lines her in the movie. Those that I just want you to believe me. I feel is just like such a heartfelt moment when she says that line. Yeah. And this is something that I need to bring up here. Going back to paranormal activity. Okay. Cause I didn't like the paranormal activity franchise. We did them appreciate them more later. And you I liked w- them after the fact that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I watched a chunk of them home alone. I talked about not liking the strangers. And then watching that shit at home in bed and hearing noises out back and what it does to the psyche. And I really wonder if I watched, had watched these movies for the first time alone, if I'd be 
telling a completely different story here. I, I, it really bends my brain wondering how much setting has an effect because I don't like going to theaters because I can't stand the other people talking and making noise. I like being alone. And that's like a, that's a huge difference between you and I as well, because I love going to the theaters, which you actually love going to the theaters. You just hate hearing people talking and eating through it. Right. Exactly. But I see like any, almost any movie I want to see, I always go to the theaters and every single one of these movies that we're talking about today, except for dead silence, I saw opening night or weekend. Yeah. And I saw absolutely zero of these in theaters. And I'm sure that added to it too. Cause can you imagine like the stings and stuff in this fucking movie in a theater full of people opening night? I mean, the screaming was fucking everywhere. And that distracts me even when it's not people talking, when it's people just having an experience and and reacting in a normal way, it distracts me. It pulls me out. You know, when you get really sucked into something, it can happen movies, TVs, video games, whatever. And you have that moment where you realize that you've lost your peripheral vision and you don't realize you're in a room anymore. And then you like come back to reality and like, Oh yeah, I'm watching something on a screen. I want to be stuck there for as long as possible during that movie. Gotcha. It's interesting you say that. This is a Reddit conversation I've had several times, just like on the (laughs) normal movie Reddit, sometimes on Reddit, sometimes on like Marvel. Uh, it seems like people are kind of split 50 50 on it. If somebody's talking during a movie or their phone rings or even I'm a little bit more understanding with kids because I take my kids. But there's a difference between your kid ask a question. And you're like, Shh, or you just let your kid talk to the whole fucking movie. Right. Yeah. Pisses me off to no end. <laughs> but I love seeing a horror movie open in fucking night and listen to everybody fucking scream. If they're talking through it, I get mad. Yeah. But if you just got like the dead silence, the screaming, I do love the go upstairs and behind you. Like that is a big part of the movie to me. And I love that. And it's the same thing in a, in a different way with the Marvel movies. Like I love hearing people like hooting and hollering when something fucking crazy happened. Yeah. So like, I, I think that's part of the theater experience to me. Yeah. But don't talk through my fucking movies <laughs> <laughs> and see. And then we're, we're polar opposites on that. So I wonder, you know, it just, it just makes me wonder some of these movies like Saul was screened. I don't remember if I was a projectionist or if when my friends were, and there was like four of us in a room in a theater watching it. Yeah. Right. So that was kind of cool. And I'm trying to remember some of these other ones. And then uh, like they were all seen in a theater setting or either via me screening or it being opening night. Or I watched them with David on a horror movie night, like a second time. So like, I've yeah. never like these movies are either seen like with a buddy in a dark, dark room or by myself and then originally in a movie theater. So, I mean, it, it could really add to it. Cause sometimes you're doing other shit when you watch movies too, right? Like if you don't have high expectations going in, uh, I, I wander onto my phone in our, uh, Does our grand poo bear having a speed run up. <laughs> shit. Uh, our derailing these two episodes was fan fucking casting. Um, <laughs> my bad, man. My bad. I did it. I did it on dead silence on the last episode, but, um, you know, like, like I said earlier, she says, I just want you to believe me. And clearly he does because they're now in a new house. Yeah. Right. They, they've moved. Let's get away from the haunted fucking house. And uh, we're introduced to, oh, I can't think of her name right now, but it's, it's Josh's mom. It's, we'll just say Mrs. Lambert, grandma. Her name's going to come up when I get to Insidious <laughs> too. But she's helping unpack and she sees a picture, a family picture, and she's shocked that Josh did still long enough for a picture. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they have a wife, mother-in-law moment, you know, and then I guess mom's gone. Right. And we, we cut to later. And Renee's now alone in the house cleaning. And this is one of those parts that makes me jump every fucking time. She's going around, like, picking up dishes and picking up trash. And she walks past an alcove to go in the kitchen. And if you pay close attention, because it's very quick, this is one of those keen eye things, there's like a... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's Kino. That's one of our things now, right? Yeah. There's there's like a old Tommy boy. Looks like the the boy that sell you the the newspaper, yeah. right? In like the 30s with the hat on, standing in the corner, fucking Blair Witch style, right? Like the witch <laughs> put him there. He's in trouble, and and it's just gone. She picks up the trash. She walks back by, and he's not there anymore. Yeah. She takes the trash outside of the can. And she had a record playing, and the record skips, and the creepiest fucking song you've ever heard in your life starts playing. And she looks in the window, and the boy's in there, and he's like fucking dancing, yeah, running around the house and shit. And he's doing his hands, and he loves the music, and uh, and she like kind of cuts by to the next window, right? So you get the like frame of the house in between, and he's gone. Yeah, and the music stops playing. So she runs in the house, freaked the fuck out. She starts looking around. She goes in Foster's room. She can't find anything. And then the rocking horse behind the door starts rocking, and the door's obscuring most of your vision, and you just know somebody's going to be there. And I love the look on her face because she just starts, like, cutting her head like, you got to be fucking kidding me, right? Yeah. And you move the door, and there's nobody there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, ah, fuck you. And then um, the doors start popping open, and she's trying to find the ghost kid, right? Because somebody's fucking with her at this point. Yeah, this is like somebody, this is not like hazy apparition shit. This is full body human being running around the house. Yeah, yeah. And then she looks at like this like armor thing, and she can see feet sticking out from under the curtains. And she's a brave motherfucker at this point, because she bends down, <laughs> moves the curtain, and it's just shoes. Yeah, but she's using like a hockey stick or something, right? Yeah, yeah. No, She's not reaching. But <laughs> it's like a two-part armoire, and there's like a higher part. And like, like, oh, thank God, it was just shoes. Yeah. And then the fucking curtain yanks open and the boy jumps out, scares the shit okay. out of me every time. You asked me a question and now I can answer you. Something like that usually gets me. Did it get you? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's so well done the way James did it because the boy like jumps out and it jump scares you as a viewer and he just runs off giggling. He's yeah. not there to yeah, hurt it's her. An, it's totally non-threatening. And the mom just looks like, what the fuck just happened? She's not like, she doesn't jump. She's just like. Did this really happen? <laughs> this fucking time traveler done broke in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody called Doctor Who. Um, but Josh comes home once again. He's always missing this I shit, right? <laughs> Jesus. But Josh comes home and he finds Renee doing the same thing and talking to a priest, right? <laughs> this is what you do. Exactly. And he, he says something like, this sounds like a bad joke guy that comes home, finds his wife yeah. and a priest. <laughs> And he's a little mad that she brought, like, an outsider in on it, but, like, it's followed him at this point, right? Yeah. And that night, the Lamberts are at the house, and Grandma comes, right? His mom shows up, and she says that she had a dream, vision, something the night before of uh, being in the house and seeing a demon in Dalton's room, right? And uh, she's like, what do you want? And the demon just, I think it just creepily points at Dalton, right? Asleep in the bed. And you can't fully make him out yet. Yeah. And then the camera, you know, fucking cuts her back to Josh. And now, oh my God, the first time I saw the movie, this fucking jump scare of Darth Maul popping out of nowhere just scared the fuck out of me. Apparently, Josh thinks it's comedic and he just laughs at it. Yeah. And it's and the Darth Maul thing is what's funny, because the first time I saw it, that's what I said. And like a hundred thousand other people said it, too. And I don't know, man, maybe because it's the middle of the day. Everything's fine. This is very out of place because you clearly see him. And uh, right behind Josh there. But it. I think that's what makes it scary to me because, like, normally a jump scare happens in like a dark, obscure corner and the thing comes out of the darkness. You see Josh sitting at the head of the table and then you see his mom talking and then you come back and there's a fucking demon behind well, him. I'm, I'm wondering because you see it 
and what happens with the jump scares in the, this movie particular is the the orchestra the orchestral hit or the music hit whatever it is is slightly delayed so you see what's on at least to me you see what's on screen and then the music and it's almost like that lack of sync breaks my brain and see i think it makes it uh creepier Really? In a way, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's 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 that kind of like something's off about it to me. See, and I think it makes me. I'm an Aquarius. I'm very <laughs> analytical, like to, to like to the point that I've fucked up stuff in my life and had to go to counseling. Um, <laughs> Personal time with Josh. <laughs> and in all seriousness, I wonder if it's I can't turn it off long enough to right. go go for the ride sometimes. And uh, sorry, I, this is turning into the what. What works for Jess, Jesse and doesn't work for Josh movie. I'm going to be honest, here. like, I damn near had to change my shorts. And I'd already <laughs> seen the movie ten times, all right? But uh, they run to Dalton's room because obviously something's in the fucking house. Yeah. And they find him on the floor and the, the room's ransacked yeah, the or room's, destroyed yeah, or something. Totally wrecked. Grandma's like, I know people that can fucking help. And then in comes the doors, the fucking Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> <laughs> we got Specs and Tucker. And they're like, where's Elise? Right. Because I guess they're expecting somebody else. Yeah. And they say, uh, Elise likes to send us in to check out things first, you know, to root out the nut jobs in the background. You got Specs is like, ooh, Starfleet Series One. You should have kept this in the box, right? Yeah. So you, you get that they're fucking nerdy, right? Tucker starts explaining his very, you know, specialized equipment that they have. I make all this equipment myself, you know. Yeah, that one's basically a modified toy. And then Tucker starts going through the house with the viewfinder. And uh, you remember those things, right? Like you put the little white round card in yeah. it. You, you click it and you see the pictures. And he's just going around clicking it. And it's kind of unsettling. And it's almost like the oscillating fan and paranormal activity. You're like, all right, he's going to click it. There's going to be something there. Yeah. He's going to click it. There's going to be something there. He's going to click it. There's going to be something there. <laughs> and there's nothing fucking there. And then he clicks it one time and he sees a woman in the hallway standing next to the clock. And that's one of those very specific, like, James Wan, long hallway, something at the end scenes. Yeah. Like, like, you know, he planned that out. Because you see the clock, other scenes in the movie, too, and nothing ever happens until this one time. <laughs> and I just got to gotta point out the, uh, the banter between the two of them, the, the constant comparing dick sizes. <laughs> is uh, It's pretty fun. And, but at the same time, this is, I, it's just another flaw for me. Like, if they're too funny, it takes away from the seriousness of the movie. And it, like, because the, there's times where it feels like they're supposed to be the comic relief, and that's where you let your guard down and get ready for the next scare, but it breaks the movie for me. Which is really funny, because you're the comedy horror movie guy. I know. We like it in different ways, though. Like, <laughs> like where I think Hatchet is, like, an interesting movie, it's, like, that dumb comedy that, like, ruins it for me in a weird way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, the real lowbrow kind of in the background comedy. I don't think they push it too far. It's not a too far thing. It's just like it's a, it's like it's it's a different thing to me. Like I don't know because it makes the movie like cause Hatchet's never scary to me at any point in time, and then has like dick and fart jokes in the background, right? <laughs> Whereas this movie's terrifying to me, and then these guys could be a comedy movie by themselves. And honestly, like like I've, I saw all these with David, right? And we like this. I mean, honestly, like fucking Specs and Tucker, are, like some of our favorite parts of the movie, yeah. just because they're fucking hilarious. But when they come into a scary scene, they work too. And we'll kind of get in that with Lee Winnell in a little bit in a scene coming up. But yeah, the banner is definitely fucking fantastic. But now that Tucker's seen this shit, though, he decides it's time to call Elise, right? <laughs> we don't got nut jobs here. And uh, she arrives and she's like, oh, Josh, you've gotten bigger since the last time I saw you. And he's yeah. like, what? Like, he doesn't know her, right? 
And I think she says something like, uh, me and your mom go way back because she's trying to explain how she knows them. Yep. And um, and she's explaining her process and she's, you know, specs sketches what she sees, right? So, like, she'll see things and she'll tell him about it and he'll sketch it out, right? And this, some kind of creepy scenes coming up because of that. Yeah. They go into Dalton's room and she's talking to him and she keeps hearing this, like, clicking sound coming from the darkness, right? And it's kind of unnerving in a way. It's a it's a weird sound. It's not just yeah. a normal click. And she looks up in the darkness uh, at the ceiling and she starts whispering stuff to Specs, right? And uh, he starts drawing Darth Maul. So he's a big Star Wars fan. And um, <laughs> Elise says that Dalton's not in a coma. His physical body's here and his spirit is not. She says it followed him from, you know, one house to another because the house isn't what's haunted. It's the sun that's haunted, which is really fucking cool when that happened in the movie the first time I saw it. Because I was like, oh, that's, that was, that was kind of new to me at the time, right? Well, it's still a play on Poltergeist. It is, it is. And you can tell, like, this was one of those movies I feel like they did a good job of, like, I fucking like Poltergeist. I want to make me one of those. And, like, you know, kind of paid respects where it was due and then still had his own movie at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Or and their I, own movie, really. And I, and I totally agree. And all my stuff that I say doesn't work for me in this movie, I'm not saying that, oh, it's just a ripoff Poltergeist because I don't feel that it's that at all. But she she explains that he's what she likes to call a traveler. And uh, he's astral projecting, which nobody fucking talks about astral projecting ever in a movie. And James Wan pointed that out in an interview. He's like, I made a haunted house movie and then added astral projecting because nobody does that. Yeah. But she said that Dalton thinks he's dreaming at night, but he's actually projecting out. Um, and he just goes further and further away. Right. And he's not scared because he thinks they're dreams. He doesn't realize he's actually somewhere else. Yeah. And he's in a place that she calls the further. And uh, she says there's ghosts swarming around him because they want his body. Like his body's an empty shell and they want to possess it. Right. And uh, this is one thing I do got to point about being a little too on the nose of poltergeist because they're drawn to his life force. Yeah. I just I always took it more as like the shell that they wanted. Right. And it's like whose turn is it to get in? And that's why there's so many ghosts around the house. though, right. Yeah. But there's a demon with a more insidious agenda. Oh, she said it. (laughs) And he wants the body so that he can cause pain to others, right? Josh starts arguing with Renee, and he kicks everyone out of the house because he thinks it's a fucking scam, right? He's like, I'm not paying you one cent or some shit. Yeah, he's not having it. But he runs to Dalton. He kind of believes a little bit because he runs to his son, and he starts asking him. He's like, are you gone? Can you hear me? If you can, give me a sign. And I really like this. This is one of those, like, Spielberg-esque type things that James (laughs) Wan pulled off. But a drawing falls off the wall. It's got Darth Maul on it. And a red door that when I see it, I just kind of want to paint it black, you know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's other crazy um, pictures and it's like Dalton flying in his red cape that we saw him in earlier in the movie pictures of him over his body yep. while he's asleep. And he's got little notes on there. Like last night I watched myself sleep, you know, and stuff like that. Yep. And, um, and he knows at this point that what Elise was saying was real. Like this is him astral projecting and drawing it. Renee comes in and, there's some sort of shared understanding and they embrace, you know, like she knows what's going on yeah. or she knows that he knows they call Elise and the crew back. And, um, this part was really cool. And, and this kind of, like, I'm going to go in the end, like James Wan's tips for making like horror movies. Like if you're starting out, okay, this kind of comes in place. We get the, the gas mask bit, which is really fucking creepy. Cause Elise puts on this like world war two era gas mask and it's got this long tube, that goes to like headphones basically, right? For, for specs to listen to her. Yeah. And this part's a little unsettling to me. I, I liked the light bulb bit, right? Cause they have like lights set up all around with these bulbs and they'll react to the presence of things. Right. Yeah. 
And anytime like something unsettling is said or seen, like the bulbs will just start fucking popping in the background and they start off slow and it starts to escalate. It's very unsettling. to me. <laughs> they make contact with Dalton and he doesn't want the man with fire to find him. And he's like, I can't get out. Right. So obviously there's somebody looking for him in there. Yeah. And uh, the demon starts talking shit to Elise. Uh, the bulbs start going crazy at this point, and she's like convulsing and talking, and fucking Specs is just writing and writing and writing. And uh, I'm pretty sure every time the bulbs flash, you see the lipstick demon's face. Okay. I kept rewinding it and watching it, but you see a flash, and I swear there's a face every time it flashes, right? It's getting frantic, and then Dalton just appears next to them in the room, and then he uses the fucking force, <laughs> knocks everybody <laughs> back from the table, and they all fall over, and then ghosts just come out of everywhere and swarm the room. But Elise keeps yelling, and she's like, release this vessel. And it, it seems like Dalton's free at this point, right? Because whatever made him, like, stand there and slam his hand down. But he's still comatose, right? Yeah. But Tucker shows Specs the footage, right, from where they were filming it. And uh, you can see, like, the demons behind Dalton in the footage. Like, he's controlling him. Yeah. Grandma shows up again. I, can't, I really wish I could remember her name. I don't want to scroll all the way down there yet. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot of notes on this one. And... She she explains that she called Elise when Josh was eight, and she helped a lot for him. Yeah. There was an old woman that would visit him at night, and she actually saw the woman, right? But she has a box of pictures of Josh as a kid, and in the background is an old lady in a black bride's dress with a veil on, and in each picture, she's closer and closer to him. And I can't think of that being done in something else before. It's pretty fucking creepy. There's other stuff where like people's faces are blurred in pictures in some movie or something. But more to the point is this. So this is the one of the nightmares of Lee Winnell with the woman in black, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but I, just the getting closer, I thought was like a nice touch, right? Yeah. But basically, they hypnotized him and made him forget that he could astral project and made him forget about the woman because it was the only way to protect him. Otherwise, he would keep astral projecting in his sleep, right? So they did that to save him. That's why he has no memory of it. Yeah. But Josh now knows that he's a traveler and he now knows that he can go into the further so he can go save his son. Right. And they play on this better in the second one. He kind of like instantly falls asleep. Yeah. But what you figure out as a traveler can just like astral project. Right. Yeah. And I guess he just, you know, I honestly that happens in real life. If you forget something naturally and somebody something reminds you, you just remember it clear as day. Right. So I'm assuming that's kind of what happened here. He's like, oh, yeah, I can fucking peace out. Right. Exactly. Um, like riding a bike. <laughs> So he, he, he sits there and he closes his eyes and he tries to do it. And he's like, guys, this shit ain't working. And then he realizes that he's looking at himself asleep in the chair. Yeah, I really like that part. I, I do like that part. And I also like how Elise, like, she's like, go. You know what I mean? Like, she guides him on because she knows he's there because she's clairvoyant, right? Yeah. And she guides him. And uh, he has, like, a lantern. And I almost feel like it's kind of like a magical lantern that Elise gave him. Right. And the further it's like she's protecting him. It, it feels like some sort of talisman or something. Right. And there's some really creepy imagery that comes up here in these next couple of scenes because Josh is searching through the further and there's ghost fucking all over the house. Right. Um, you get this lady that's just like standing there fucking blinking. Creeps me the fuck <laughs> up. And this is the same makeup that I was making fun of with the, the Danzig guy or the Misfits like guy, like where it's pale, with the dark cheeks. Honestly, yeah. it's Night of the Living Dead makeup. Yeah, from the, the original whole, one. yeah, the subtle makeup thing. It's creepier, though, with the people dressed in the 50s to me. Yes. Yeah. And she's just standing there blinking and the family's like all smiling. And then you hear lots of gunshots going off and then like the family's dead and the ghost woman standing there with the gun still not moving. It's just like that to me, there's like a random nightmare. One of them had, and they just threw it in the fucking movie, but it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> 
But Josh sees the red door from Dalton's dream in his picture, and it's guarded by the Glenn Danzig ghost, right? <laughs> oh, crap. This isn't the same red door from Grave Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh dispatches the guy, and he finds Dalton, who's chained up, and we see Darth Maul rocking out in this little fucking balcony window to that In the Garden song. He's sharpening his nails. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's fucked up too. Like everything like at this point, it's just like the creepiest little subtle thing they could add to it. See, and I think this is the part of the movie where I fucking nod it off. <laughs> it's just, it's something uncomfortable about it. Like the things like, hey, and I'm going to sharpen my fucking nails. It's Tuesday. You go shopping on Thursdays. He carves his fucking nails sharper. <laughs> you know? um, but Josh has to fight him. He jumps down to come get them. And honestly, this is what I expected Toby to look like in the last paranormal activity movie, but ended up just being a dude. Cause he's got like the fucking like goat hooves and, yeah, like and the, then he have like the tail with the point and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he looks like a, he's a fucking demon, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like out of a 1930s cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He played cuphead. I haven't yet. I want to, it's not on switch now. So okay, I'm going to get sorry, it. Sorry. So. That just made me think of that, <laughs> but they make a break for it. Cause obviously they can't kill the fucking thing. He's a demon. Right. Yeah. And, uh, they have to make it back to their real bodies. Um, Renee starts calling out for him, you know, cause they're like, I think Dalton's in the same room as everybody, right? Like they're all together. So she's calling out and they can yeah. hear her through their bodies. Right. And the power goes out in the house and, uh, specs has a light and then Tucker pulls out a fucking gigantic light and it's just fucking hilarious. Yeah. This is that, the comparing dick sizes. <laughs> and, uh, they go searching through the house and there's another fucking jump scare that gets me every time. Cause there's a drawer open. I think it's specs that walks up to it to check out the drawer. And, you know, you're waiting on, like, a knife to fly out. It doesn't happen. And yeah. he has to close the drawer, and a hand comes out and fucking grabs his hand. I totally forgot about it and lost my shit when I was rewatching the movie. See, that's another one of the ones that actually got me. <laughs> and, and they're good They're good jumps because they're not cheesy fucking cat jumping in, right? But uh, the ghost just starts crossing over into our world, and they're appearing everywhere. And uh, Josh and Dalton are on the home stretch. They can see the house off in the distance. Yeah. They start to fucking book it. And uh, the ghosts don't like the light. So they're like, get the light closer to Josh and Dalton, right? And they're like shining it right in their face. And I guess it's kind of like a beacon for them too. And um, the demon makes it to the house and starts chasing Dalton because they had to separate. Because, oh, no, no, Dalton's body is in his room then. Because he's trying to make yes, it to his room. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and, right. the, and the demon starts finding him. And Josh uh, finds the woman. And uh, he tells her he's not scared and that she should leave, right? And then we see the camera just like zoom in really fast on their bodies. And they, they wake up like they're, they're both there now. And, you know, it's pretty much like we're at the end here. Right. And we get another funny specs and Tucker moment, you know, cause they're like, oh, we should write a book. Pictures worth a thousand words. Yeah, but words are worth a thousand words, too. And uh, Josh and Elise are in a room alone and Josh hands her the pictures of him. Right. From earlier. And she takes them and she pauses like she knows something's up. Yeah. And then she picks up a camera. And takes a picture of him, right? And uh, he snaps at her and he starts fucking yelling. He's like, you know, I don't like that shit. And he starts to choke her to death, right? And she chokes her out and she's dead. Yep. So you know something's fucked at this point. Renee's with Dalton while he's eating because he's fucking been in a coma for like three or four months, right? Yeah, which that I don't like that either. That would have made him sick as fuck. Man. In my mind, I was like, I'd be hungry as fuck. So like, that was like no, <laughs> no science involved. But she hears something. So she goes in there and she finds Elise dead in the chair with a camera on the ground 
She can't find Josh, but she sees the picture on the ground from the that the Elise took, right? Yeah. And she picks it up, and it's the old lady in the black dress in the photo and not Josh there. And then Josh says, hey, I'm right here behind you, and she screams. The end. <laughs> and I know I say that all the time on the podcast when I'm joking, but seriously, that's it. It just says the end, and then the fucking world's cheesiest title card pops up again. <laughs> with a, ah, sting, and the fucking movie's over. I really, really like the twist at the end with... Uh Josh being possessed and they don't, it's not subtle at all. She takes the picture. She's obviously terrified, takes the picture and he's immediately, like you said, you know, why did you do that? You know, I don't like that and goes straight to just choking the hell. Oh yeah. yeah. Like there's no illusion to what's happening right now. Yeah. And then you see the picture and you see the old lady was picked up in the picture and not Josh. So you just fucking know right off the bat right there. Yeah. So, you know, she came through, pulled him back in, whatever shit did not end well. It's also interesting because it wasn't the demon that followed him out. It was the woman in black who is like a lesser character of this movie. Yeah. Like the lipstick face demon was the main threat. Yeah. It was the insidious being. The old lady was just from Josh's past, but the old lady's what came out and it was a really good setup for a sequel. Yeah. I will say when I get into the second one though, Josh being possessed is actually my least favorite part of the sequel. Yeah. And honestly, I'd, I don't like his acting as much in that one. No, possessed Josh is not as good as normal Josh. And I don't think, actually, I don't think it's poor acting. It's just like, uh, it's so out of character for him to act that way, but it's because he's acting like the bad person. But yeah, they really take some elements of this movie and use them in the second one. You can really tell, like, if James Wan's main goal was to make a horror movie that was of that older style that he liked growing up and to separate himself from the torture porn gore of Saul, he nailed that. Like, he made a creepy, atmospheric horror movie with no gore. Yeah, and that's exactly what he said he wanted to do. And uh, honestly, there's not a drop of blood in the movie. Like, some people think it's a bloody handprint, but it's a lipstick handprint. So. Yeah. So you don't even have that. I mean, it's not violent, no sex. I, I think it's light on language. I don't even know what it's rated. Um, <laughs> before we could get to the sequel, we had to get to 2013 and The Conjuring, which here we see a departure as far as the writing goes, because here we had James Wan teamed up with Chad and Carrie Hayes. So it takes place in 71. And I got to say, uh, to me, to put it in a nutshell, this one's like, Amityville meets Poltergeist. Um, I really do. Cause like I was watching it with the wife and I kept making jokes from uh, Foamy the Squirrel about the Amityville torture. No, about Foamy the Squirrel and the Amityville toaster. Okay. Uh, bit, if you've ever seen that. So I kept going Amityville. Um, but anyways, so we actually open with a quick story about Annabelle and it's really just there to get the Warrens introduced. Cause like you said earlier, this was going to be the Warren files. Say what you will take. However, Firm believer in the supernatural over here. I know you are as well. There's a whole shit ton of back and forth about, you know, oh, the whole Amityville thing was a hoax and they did this and planned on writing the book and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And there's some um, people that think that Ed and the Rain Warren like generally help people. Some people think they were like leeches that were just trying to make money and fame. Yeah. Either way, they have just like a fucking collection of cases or stories yep. or whatever you want to call it that you can pull from to make stories. I mean, I really think it's interesting that he decided to go with that and you get that like partially based off a true story aspect in it. Exactly. It's an interesting place to pull from. You get that. And of course, Ed Warren, the real one passed away years, years ago. ago. And then Lorraine Warren actually passed away just a few weeks just, ago. Yeah, yeah. Just recently. So it's kind of 
weird that this all hit at the same time. But they, they basically, the, the girls in the opening tell the story about how there was a ghost and it wanted to stay with them and they invited it into the doll to stay with them. And the doll would leave behind notes that said, going with the real quote-unquote legend, they'd just leave notes on it even when there was no paper around, stuff like <laughs> that. And uh, they end up throwing the doll away, comes back in the middle of the night. It's a creepy looking fucking doll. It is. It's a porcelain doll that's not the like the real one, which is the Raggedy and. uh Doll. It's a Raggedy Ann doll. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And uh, the Warrens explain it's not a ghost. It's a demon. So we get a cut that reveals the Warrens are actually giving a presentation. We get the based on a true story, 70s looking title. Fucking the <laughs> conjuring coming up into frame. It's so, so looks out of the 70s. At least this one takes place in the 70s. <laughs> true. So we get to a large family moving into a house and. I'm going to go through this real quick. They've got too many friggin' daughters, all right? Because they have, what, five daughters? Yeah. So I don't have all the names in here. I guess I should say this. We got Vera Farmi. I can never say her last name right. Vera Farminga? Farminga? Something like that? I always said Vera Farmiga, so I don't know if I'm saying it right um, either. As Lorraine Warren, Patrick Wilson again as Ed Warren. We've got Lily Taylor as Carolyn Perrin, which is mom, and Rod Livingston, Ron Livingston as Roger Perrin, dad. I just know him as dude from Office Space. I know, right? And of course, I know Mom as the Haunting remake. Yeah. I'm sure I've seen her in other shit, but I never think of anything other than that. That's always the first one that comes to mind for me as well. So as they're moving in, the dog doesn't want to come in the house. The dog's name is Sadie. So this poor dad, he's living with his wife, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but he's living with his wife, his five daughters, and even the dog's a chick. <laughs> I mean, this, he's outnumbered severely, he is right? so outnumbered, man. I'm about to be outnumbered myself at home. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we get the long through the house shot, the non cutaway shot that ends up going all the way back out to reveal the tree. And it's this big ominous tree out on the edge of the lake, which they actually built for the movie, not the lake, the (laughs) the tree. (laughs) And the tree's kind of like the poster shot too, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, the youngest girl is out there playing with this music box that she found. And so that night the kids are playing hide and clap and they discover the uh, walled up basement stairs. Amityville. Um, I can't help it, man. I don't think they go in and investigate just yet. So the next morning, Carolyn, uh, wakes up and comments on how the house is really cold. Maybe should, maybe somebody should fire up that furnace. Amityville. Um, <laughs> and she discovers this bruise on her leg. And one, I love the line she has right there. Cause she's like, you really did a number on me last night. <laughs> yeah. Cause they christened the house. And one of the daughters, I think it's Andrea, is complaining about this awful fart smell. And uh, <laughs> Did she say fart? They do later on. I don't know if she says it right then. I think she just says it's an awful smell. And she also notices that all the clocks in the house stopped at 3.07 a.m. And then April, I believe, is the youngest daughter. I'm probably going to fuck this up. But like I said, there's five daughters. So I'm going get, to get messed <laughs> up on some this. of them have more vocal parts than others. Exactly. Finds dead Sadie outside because the dog wouldn't come in the house. So they just left, left her chained up. So we cut back to the Warrens and Ed is showing some interview guy. I don't remember his name. I don't think he's mentioned it. Maybe in the credits, but he's shown the collection of all these artifacts from their investigations in there. And it's people get confused by the movie. This isn't in their house or wasn't in their actual house. It was detached from the house that was quote unquote their office. Yeah. So they kind of fuck with that in the movies, but whatever. And he asks the Annabelle. It's like, well, two things, two important things happen. He asks about seeing Annabelle and he says, if, why do you bring all this here? If this is the stuff you're fighting, how are you protected? And it's like, oh, well, we have the room uh, blessed and, you know, we take precautions, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, they uh, don't let anybody in. They have a priest come every like Wednesday or something and bless it. And because the Warrens in real life and in the movie, very devout Catholics. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, what happened to Lorraine if, if y'all are so protected? And it just kind of hints at something that happened. So that night, we see the clock stop again. The girls complain about the fart smell. That's when <laughs> that's when one of them, two of the girls, are sharing rooms. Like, would you quit farting or something like that? And uh, we get a close static shot of the TV, poltergeist. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying shit on it. I'm just saying, like, this is obvious. And Roger wakes up and uh, hears noises and sees a door swinging. And then he sees Andrea on the stairs. And uh, she says the noise is Cindy sleepwalking. So it's still recurring themes throughout these movies <laughs> written by different people. But, of course, James Wan was partially wrote these as well. Yeah, so James Wan always does the story, and then he has a screenplay writer come in and, like, flesh it out, right? Yeah. So he comes up with the basic part, and he even does that still on movies that he's not directing. So <laughs> so they find Cindy banging her head on this old armoire, armoire wardrobe, whatever, put clothes <laughs> in and shit. And uh, they put her back to bed. So the next morning, Carolyn's got more bruises. This is like an ongoing thing that she just keeps waking up with more and more. And she finds April talking to, quote-unquote, Rory through the music box. She's like, hey, all you have to do is let it play, and you can see him in the reflection. The music box is a fucking clown with red hair. The mirror has this swirl on it. This is all hearkening back to one Billy in Jigsaw and uh, the clown puppet in Dead Silent. I didn't catch that because I watched Dead Silence after I watched the Conjuring movies. Okay. For the podcast. I had never seen it before. So I didn't really realize that it looked like the music box. So, yeah. So we got that and that, that telltale swirl thing. And, uh, this so she, part fucked me up. She wants to play hide and clap. You know, mom, please, please play hide and clap with me. Nobody else will ever play with me. She's like, all right, we'll do this. The part that fucked with me, though, is the music box and you're waiting. For the reflection up here, and it doesn't. Yeah, like the girl's just like boo and scares her, but like you just knew some fucked up. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't. She doesn't see shit. We're <laughs> we're doing a real good job of building still at this point. So as they're going around playing uh, hide and clap, mom thinks she's got to her, and we see these hands come out of the armoire and clap. <laughs> but that's not April. It's like she comes running out of another room or something. So we know that wasn't her. Well, she's like you're cheating. You took her blindfold off. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. So that night we've got Christy getting getting her leg pulled in bed. That was the other thing that was happening during the fart smell was she kept getting her leg pulled. We do this whole creepy thing where she goes to look under the bed and we don't see anything, but she can see the door move. Yeah. Look at looking up under the bed. She gets back up and she starts freaking out and Nancy wakes up and she's like, what's going on? What's going on? She's like, there's someone standing over there. And Nancy's just like, I don't see anything where and just goes walking over there and Christine is getting terrified because she's like, it's standing right behind you. This is another one of those James Wan staples where he just uses the absence of everything to freak you the fuck out. Yeah. Because he does that a lot where it's just dark and somebody yeah, sees we something don't see we can't. see a damn thing. And it freaks you out because you're waiting on something that never happens. <laughs> but then we get, we get the fucking paranormal activity rumble and the door slams. Yeah. So everyone ends up in the room because the girls are freaking out and screaming and going and getting the parents. And, um, uh, Chrissy says that uh, it told her that it wants her family dead. So it's not there for sugar. No, it is not. <laughs> okay. Fucking asshole neighbor, man. So Roger is a truck driver, uh, independent truck driver, by the way. So they just bought this new house. They need money. He's taking a shit run and he's gone. So, Are we talking about like George Carlin talking about wanting to see a man run full speed, <laughs> taking a shit with a jock strap on, right? <laughs> Is that what you mean by shit run? No, 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 no. no. He, he's he's going to go take a job for half of his normal rate. That oh, kind of a okay, shit job. Okay. 
<laughs> I was just trying to paint a picture in my head here. <laughs> so he's going, and uh, Carolyn thinks she hears the girls playing. And uh, she goes looking around, and we get this shot where fucking all the pictures all down the stairs and maybe in different parts of the house all fall off the walls at the same time. Yeah. And this is your first real holy shit moment. <laughs> and uh, clock strikes 3 a.m., and uh, she hears the piano down in the basement playing. And that's right. They did go down when they found it walled up. As soon as they find, I, I didn't want to interrupt you as you're on a roll, but uh, yeah, as soon as they figure out there's a wall there, the dad starts fucking like breaking it down to check it out, which yeah. I fucking wouldn't have done that. No, I've been like, somebody did that for a reason. We lock this door now. So she goes down to investigate and uh, the door fucking slams and knocks her down the stairs. So she's just sitting there kind of looking around. This ball comes out, bouncing out of nowhere. Then all of a sudden a friggin' light bulb explodes. She makes her way back up to the top of the stairs and she's like cowering in fear. And you hear, want to play hide and clap? And these hands come out of the shadows and do the. They do a really good job of them just fucking appearing out of the darkness. Too. Yeah. <laughs> While this is going on, Andrea and Nancy see this friggin' crazy woman on top of the armoire that like yells at them. So we see that the Warrens are given another presentation and they're explaining the three stages of demonic possession, which that's one of the stages. But, uh, you know, um, we've got infestation, oppression and possession. And that's the shot where you get to see the real Lorraine Warren in one of the front rows of okay. the presentation. And, of course, Carolyn's there and she's asking for help. And uh, the Warrens come and they're introduced to the family. And you can pretty much tell that Lorraine's noticing something around the family, just yeah. the, just the way she's looking around. And uh, they talk about the the smell, and it's like, and we got these knocks, and and Ed's like, do they always come in threes like that? And it's yeah. Like, yes. And he's like, okay. And uh, I think he specifically says it's like a mockery of the Holy Trinity, right? Yeah. yeah. And they end up down in the basement, and Lorraine's saying she's picking up on that something awful happened there, and uh, she ends up doing the music box thing with April, I guess. And she actually sees Rory or she sees something right in the reflection of the music box. She goes out back. And then I know this is a scene you really like. She's standing out on the dock by the big tree. I think it's when Ed's coming out to talk to her and you can hear the creaking of something swinging in the tree. But there's nothing there. Yeah. And then Lorraine sees it. So she explains to the couple that the house and land needs an exorcism, that she's seen a dark presence around the family. First, I saw it on you. So back at home, research has been done, and Lorraine is telling Ed about Bathsheba, who sacrificed her seven-day-old baby, proclaimed her love to Satan, cursed anyone who tried to take her land, and hung herself. Yeah. Well, their house is on her plot of land. Right. Could that possibly be the body hanging from the tree outside of the lake? That scene is just so fucking (laughs) creepy. That's probably like my favorite part. Her time of death was 3.07 a.m. Yeah. She goes over others that died at the house and on the property. And uh, the tape starts playing by itself from the interview with the family. And we hear voices and screams and shit. So they come back with Brad and Drew. These are our investigator helper guys. And uh, so there's no specs or Tucker. No. And I think one of them's a cop, actually. <laughs> and um, so they set up for a full investigation. I can't even remember if he's an actual investigator because he's kind of skeptical. I think they have to have like somebody law enforcement. Possibly. Because if you recall... They're trying to gather evidence for the Catholic Church, not yes. for them to do anything. And they have to have a, like a member of law enforcement as like a witness is what it is. Because in the movies, he says that he's a demonologist for the Catholic Church. 
Ed Warren never actually said that in real life. That's yeah. like a that's like a movie thing, right? But they would gather evidence to take to the church for things, supposedly. But you know, the Catholic Church never will, you know, really comment on exorcisms exactly. Con- and possessions. Confirm or deny. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. So I think that's why the cops there is he's like a authoritative witness because he's kind of skeptical through the movie and he's got some he's like the light comedy scene sometimes yeah. right and we don't have that small and lightweight camera yet like they're going to have in conjuring too um, <laughs> i love that part. <laughs> but uh the basement door slings open they go down there and it seems to be a complete bust lorraine's like i'm picking up on nothing and the next day ed goes to work on roger chevy and it, this is where we start seeing more of how much they care about these people yeah that they're not there for a paycheck they're not there to do their job they're there to help people because Roger had made a comment about, he's like, what's wrong with the old Chevy? And he's like, oh, this, 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 and this. And uh, he starts working on it. But this is when Lorraine sees the sheet ghost. And this is one of the weaker parts of the movie to me. I hate it, man. Because, like, the wind's blowing real hard and it blows the sheet off of the, the dryer line. And it wraps around something unseen that was standing there. And uh, It's a very paranormal activity, really. If it you think is. about it. I, it's creepy, though, because you're not expecting it. Like, it it's is very well-timed. This part of it I'm okay with when it flies away up to the window and then moves away and now there's a ghost in the window, I thought that was, it was too much. Pick, pick one or the other. Yeah, I was going to say, you could do one or the other. Either have it hit the unseen presence and blow away or have it just randomly float up to the window and her follow it with her eyes and see the ghost. Exactly. I, I completely agree with you there. <laughs> but what we're seeing, what's happening upstairs is, I guess it's the witch appears floating above Carolyn in bed and pukes into her mouth. We're doing <laughs> that. That's the way we do position. And, uh, she wakes up puking. She's fucking covered in bruises now. Lorraine goes in to check on her, and she just plays the whole thing off. She's yeah. Like, oh, no, I'm fine. So uh, she possessed. We got the next night, Brad hears voices, and he sees the woman with the slit wrists. You know, look what you made me, or look what she made me do. Yeah, I yeah. I think is what she's saying. And uh, they've set up these cameras that are supposed to go off based on temperature changes. Yeah. Anyways, just going to gloss <laughs> over that because I have so many problems with that. And uh, they see Cindy walking around, you know, our head banging sleepwalker and the cameras are going off as she walks by. They hear boys voice guide her to a place to hide. And uh, it's probably Rory, right? Yeah, probably. And they follow her to the armoire and she's not in there. And then Ed realizes that there's a secret door back behind there. And uh, he goes in and it's like inside the wall. He finds Cindy and April says, that's where Rory hides. And Lorraine ends up going inside there too yeah. to look, and there's like a shelf where there's stuff. There's like toys and stuff in there, right? Kids in there, and she sees a spot in the dust where the music box right. used to sit. She sees a rope. Yep, and she goes. It's not just a rope though. <laughs> she goes and starts pulling on it, and she pulls up a fucking noose. And as soon as she realizes this, she fucking falls through the floor and all the way down into the basement. And uh, she sees ghosts in the basement. Like, all kinds of shit's going on. This is all a bunch of quick shit once she falls. And she goes to run out, and something pulls her necklace and pulls it off. And the necklace is, it's a a pendant, or whatever the hell you call them, that was one for her and one for her daughter. Okay. If I remember right, Judy. So back upstairs, she tells the others that uh, she used the mother and the son, or no, she used the mother to murder the son, and that she's feeding on Carolyn. This is what she does. She possesses one to kill the other. And uh, shit starts to go crazy now. So (laughs) Nancy's hair gets pulled, but this isn't just like the creepy kid getting pulled up in the air in paranormal activity. No, she is fucking thrown and drug all over the house. And uh, this is going on until Lorraine gets close enough to literally cut off her hair. So whatever's pulling on her isn't pulling her anymore. Luckily, they now have the evidence they need to take to the church. 
And uh, the priest says that with the kids not being baptized and the family not being members of the church, that the approval will have to come straight from the Vatican, but he'll put in the request himself. So back home at the Warren's house, we see Judy get her leg pulled in bed, just like what's been going on there. Right. She gets up looking for her parents and uh, the collection room is unlocked because it's got like all these locks on it. And she goes in there and I love this because it's like a setup that like, oh shit, she's going to go in there and something crazy is going to happen. She looks in. And then goes walking right back out. <laughs> so fuck this. But as she comes out, we just see darkness coming down the stairs, coming in from all sides. And I like that kind of shit. I love in movies like uh, the descent when what's her face is running down the hall and everything's just dark and dark. James yeah. Wan likes to use claustrophobia as well. Like he did that. That was a really big theme on Saul for him. Yeah. Like he wanted to use claustrophobia to get you. That works on me. And she goes into this side room trying to get away from the darkness. And she sees the witch with the Annabelle doll rocking in this chair. And uh, right then is when the Warrens actually come home because she's home with grandma, if I remember right. I think somewhere in there, she thought she saw Judy in the water or something. She freaks out at some point and calls her mom and she's like, oh, no, no, Judy's fine. She's like, I'm sorry I worried you, mom. So she's already gotten like a vision kind of that something was wrong with their daughter. Yeah, because she thought she saw her floating in the water out behind the house by the tree. Yes. So they come in and Ed busts down the door just in time to get her out. But by this time, the witch or whatever is throwing the fucking rocking chair at the the door and it hits the wall and shatters and shit. So meanwhile, we've got when they left to go get with the church, the rest of the family, the parents went to a motel. Yeah. So back at the motel, Carolyn leaves with uh, Christy and April, which I, th- I think is supposed to be the two. Sorry, Christine and April, which I think is supposed to be the two youngest. And, uh, Roger calls the Warrens to tell them what's going on. She just ran out with them. And I think one of the, when they show up, one of the daughters is like, she smelled like rotting meat. Yeah. Yeah. Something like like that. that. And, uh, so they all go back, back to the house and they find Carolyn in the basement, fixing to stab Christine with a fucking pair of scissors. Right. And, uh, they try to take her to the priest. They're like, we got to get her to a priest or she's going to die. But as soon as they get her to the threshold of the fucking front door, her skin starts to burn. You can see rope marks around her neck like it's a noose. Love that shot. Yeah, yeah. That's the point in the movie where I care about the family. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. And I'm like, you got me. You fuck it. It, it took you. Movie's almost over, but you got me. So they end up. Oh, no. She gets fucking drug fucking paranormal activity style yeah. all the way down into the basement. And uh, I want to say, like, it'll be interesting when you have kids and go back and watch some of these movies, because I don't recall how the family dynamic got me seen it originally but this poltergeist like all that shit i don't know when you see all the kids and stuff involved <laughs> completely different <laughs> oh I, I it's got to be so they end up going down there they tie her to a chair with a fucking sheet over her head <laughs> and they have no time ed's gonna have to perform the exorcism he's set in on many of them never performed one himself but she's gonna die if they don't do something so he throws holy water on her and she screams the whole fucking house shakes and she spits out blood from up under under the sheet. That's how you see it. And um, the witch reveals herself as the sheet fucking tears open, which is actually pretty cool. It's all really cool. Like the way the, the camera's shaking, the blood under the sheet. Like, like There's they one just made a, light bulb in, in the basement the whole time. We could have just seen it, but like I like the sheet part. I don't know why I had to do it, but like it just it worked aesthetically. Yeah. So we get the chair gag, which is actually really cool because the chair floats up in the fucking air, turns upside down. And then slams up onto the ceiling and then the chair fucking falls and breaks freeing her. And, uh, the whole time this is going on, they're trying to find April, the other right. daughter, cause she's MIA during all this. And, uh, Drew starts yelling 
that he's found her. She's under the kitchen. The look on the possessed mom's face when she hears that. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, really now? And she just takes off like a wild animal under the house to go get her. So we've got Ed chasing her from down there. We've got Lorraine upstairs. And earlier in the movie, when there's some dynamic between Lorraine and Carolyn, she sees this picture from them at the beach. And it was like, it felt like the perfect day. This is us starting, starting over, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So Ed's calling out Bathsheba and condemning her back to hell while Lorraine is like holding on to her through the hole in the kitchen saying, remember that day, remember that day from what you showed me? Cause she saw the day through the psychic link thing. And she's just trying to like pull the mom back through the possession. Right. And yeah. And uh, so she basically pukes out the demon. Roger helps her out of the house and into the sun and the bruises fade in the sunlight. And uh, April gives Lorraine her necklace back. And uh, the family does the cuddle puddle thing out in the yard, <laughs> which is kind of like a little cheesy to me. So we get kind of like a postscript thing of the Warrens back at home. And they add the music box to the collection. <laughs> and Lorraine says, I'm going to check in with Father, whoever, the priest. <laughs> and she says, well, uh, I talked to him and the Vatican approved the exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says he has a case in Long Island that he'd like us to discuss. That has to be Amityville. Yeah, yeah, Even though... In the timeline, that's weird. The music box plays. You're waiting for the scare. You're waiting for the scare. Credits. Yeah. The um, end. <laughs> yeah, the end. That's it. There's no no crazy title card or anything at the end. I mean, this movie's definitely a more serious tone it's than much, Insidious. Yeah, it's much more serious. And I, not to say that Insidious was a comedy movie. It's not just Specs and Tucker, really. But like, you yeah. know, having the old timey title card sting and stuff. Like and it that. was also out there. We had the further. We had the demon and the ghost. It was this is more haunted house movie. He has a thing where he, you know, like I said, I'm going to go into his rules for a horror movie later. But like he had his twist on there. It was a haunted house movie with a witch. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he still kind of did that there. But they, uh. I may have mentioned this beginning. I don't remember, but this is the one that was given an R rating because it was too scary, um, which just blows my mind. I mentioned that the tree was a prop. James Wan said he had one of those dog playing with something that isn't there incidents when he okay. was writing this. And there were, it's a fucking movie. There were liberties taken with the, the story, the case file, even the story of the witch and everything. Like she wasn't hung. She was acquitted of the charges actually. And that's something like Conjuring 3 comes out next year, I think. And I think, you know, at that point, it'd be kind of cool after it comes out on Blu-ray and shit to do like the whole franchise. And maybe like we could do it from that aspect of the movie versus like what we can find really happen. Yeah. Right. Because I, I was doing some research in that aspect. There's quite a bit different. So it'd be interesting, I think, to do it that way. Yeah. But the Warrens were involved. At least Lorraine was. And I think she visited the set. You can find, I was going to actually ask you if you watched him when I was saving interviews with James Owen to watch for the podcast. He actually does some of them with Lorraine Warren. Yeah. And I was curious if you had watched those and like, if they're any good, I watched a couple of them and the audio was atrocious. Oh really? And I had to like crank it and it's a shame. I have it bookmarked so I could go back and watch it later, but, uh, yeah, but I, I didn't have time to do it. And since those weren't my movies, I was like, I'll just watch them later. <laughs> but yeah. And then. In the same damn year, Insidious Chapter 2 comes out? Yeah, I mean, he's this motherfucker stays busy, man. Like, <laughs> like he has to be, like, writing one while he's filming the other. But, yeah, the same year, he fucking released Insidious 2. I like, I like the naming convention of Insidious also. I like how it was, like, Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2. It wasn't, like, Insidious this or Insidious yes. 2. I like the chapter use in there. Yep. 
But yeah, in Insidious 2, we open up at the uh, Lambert residence with young Elise showing up to meet her friend Carl, right? To help Mama Lambert with Josh. But this is Josh's mom's house, right? Because it's yeah. in like the fucking 70s or 80s. And Elise is showing up, a bit younger. It's it's really odd hearing her voice come out of the other woman's body. Yes, I hate that dub. They should have just let the voice not match. It would have felt better. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. But she's meeting her friend Coral, and she's there to help Josh's mom with Josh. So this must be like the, I know your mom from way back. We were in the first one, right? Yep. We see the pictures, right, of the old woman getting closer to him. The same ones from the first one. It's Coral showing him to Elise. So she knows something's fucked up, right? Yep. And Elise starts to interview Josh on camera and she decides to hypnotize him. He says that the woman is here and that she visits him every night. And Elise says she wants to talk with her, right? So they play a game of hot or cold, which I'm not really <laughs> sure how this works because Josh has the walkie and she's walking around the house of the walkie. How does Josh know where she's at? But actually, he's probably astral projection following her. Yeah. So he's just floating around watching. Yeah. Is, yeah, is talking, yeah. It. yeah. That's probably, that, that makes sense now that I think about it in hindsight. She goes to the house and she ends up in Josh's room where the closet opens and she's very, very hot, he says. <laughs> and, uh, he asked her to get out of there, right? Elise reaches into the darkness once again because James Wan likes his darkness, and she gets scratched by something down her wrist, right? Yep. She runs downstairs to Coral and Josh's mom and stuff. Coral. <laughs> Coral. And uh, Elise says that uh, she's a parasite and that she wants his body, like just straight up, right? Yep. Uh, she explains that he's a traveler and that he travels too far at night and now the dead can see him they're drawn to him just like in the first one right yep and um elise says that she can suppress his powers and he says i'll show you and he like gets up and he sleepwalks to a door and points and the door opens really doesn't make any sense at this point in the movie oh but it will and then the terrible logo pops up again <laughs> it is returned oh we then get this really fucking cool shot. I love the cinematography of this, of the camera zooming in on Renee while she's getting interviewed by a police detective. But it's interesting because it's just like a huge black void with a room really far off in the distance. Yeah. And the camera just gets closer and closer. And I fucking love how he did it. But the cop, like, he knows the whole story, right? Like, there's the child was in a coma. There's ghosts, demons. We had this woman come in. It's like, fucking, she, Renee's told the whole story, right? She holds nothing back. He doesn't believe her. Yeah. Cop's like, it's the husband. It's always the husband. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Renee explains that she found Elise's body in the chair. And then we, we get to see what happened in the original movie's ending, right? Yeah. Like, Josh plays concerned. Oh, my God. What happened to Elise? I was just with her, you know. And Renee just appears to not believe him at this point. Yeah. Cop wants to know who the woman in the picture was because <laughs> he's seen the picture of the old woman, right? He doesn't know that it was supposed to be Josh standing there. And he's like, you know, when I check her throat for handprints, they're going to match her husband's, right? And and he's going to be busted at this point. We end up back at Mama Lambert's house, but in modern time, right? Yeah. Because they're staying there. They, I guess because the house is a crime scene. They don't think the house haunted. There's just a fucking dead body there. <laughs> Something's there, right? Some, something killed her. Yeah. Um, but Josh is acting completely normal with the kids. Like, he's putting them to bed in his old room. He's playing with them. They got, like, the tin can with the string, which yeah. gets used greatly. But Renee starts hearing the piano playing in Lorraine's music room. And, and Mama Lambert's Lorraine. No. Finally remembered her name, um, <laughs> but she goes in there and there's no one playing the piano in the room, but the radio's on playing music. So she's like, oh, maybe I heard that. So she cuts the radio off 
But she starts standing at the piano. Like, she thinks it was the piano, right? And then yeah. she hears Callie crying on the baby monitor again, which is a reoccurring thing. And uh, she runs up there, but Callie's asleep. The piano starts playing again. She runs back down there, and no one's there again. Yeah, so it was, it was just a quick, let's fuck with you scene. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, she hits, like, a fucking uh, baby toy, and it goes off, and it jump scares the shit out of you, because it's just a noise out of no- nowhere with a flashing light, right? And then you hear Callie crying. So she runs upstairs, and now Callie's on the floor. So she's trying to explain to Josh what's happening. But Josh is like, I just want all of this to be over. I want it to be behind us. I had nothing to do with Elise dying. Renee, do you believe me? And she says she does, right? It's not real convincing, though. Um, (laughs) Because his delivery, it really is, you know, like, oh, I thought thought we were over. I thought this was done with. You know, he's, he's really... Not himself. You can tell when he's flipping in and out of being possessed, right? Yeah. I mean, he's possessed the whole time, but like when he's playing with the kids, he's the dad. He's Josh playing with the kids, right? Because yeah. the ghost wants the body. It wants to be there. It wants to have the family. It can play the part when it needs to. Yep. But we cut to our boys, Specs and Tucker, and they're going to Elise's house. And I don't know if they like live there or if they're just going there to hang out. But they're obviously saddened by her death. Yeah. And when they walk in in the background, you can see that paranormal activity painting that shows up in the movies. And Oh, uh, the one you talked about before. Yeah. And if you look on our Instagram, like I put the picture, I put pictures of the picture. Okay. On there from all the paranormal activity. Yes. <laughs> of all the paranormal activity movies where it shows up and this scene from Insidious okay. 2. Yeah. Because yeah. Right, cool. I had to go through and find it. Um <laughs> But it's really neat to see it back there. It's like the, the creepy tribal painting. And the door to the reading room opens, which they're never supposed to go into a reading room. And they have to play Hunter Ninja Bear to go in there, which is like their own fucking <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. It's fantastic. Is that and, bear a drop bear? <laughs> no, it wasn't a drop bear. <laughs> I just remember fucking uh, <laughs> Specs wins, right? And Tucker's like, it's bullshit. I don't see how a ninja can beat a bear. And he's like, it's the superior sense of smell. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about it makes fucking sense, and I fucking love it. Um, but they, there's like a room full of tapes, right? And they knock shit over, and they go to clean it up, and Tucker sees one of them says, Lambert's 1986. There we go. So it was the 80s. Yeah. Um, and they pop the tape in. Amateur frame. Just horrible. They want to know who he's saying, I'll show you to. Right? Because he's like, I'll uh, show yeah. you. And, and they're curious, right? Lorraine wakes up from a nap at her house because we cut back to there. And a lot of this movie is cutting back and forth between multiple scenes. So yeah. I'll try to keep that clear. <laughs> yeah, because we're following split up people with stuff going on most of the movie until yeah. we get to the, the final act. But Lorraine wakes up from her nap and she goes to check on the boys. And Dalton's asleep, but he says, Grandma, someone's behind you in his sleep. And it's freaky as fuck. If a kid said that to me, I'm fucking out, right? <laughs> she jumps up real quick from his bed and goes to look in the hallway and hears the piano playing and goes downstairs. And the fucking baby toy jump scares you again. It got me both times. Granted, I was watching it like in my office, my home office, like at night while my wife and kids are asleep with my fucking headphones on. I had it cranked and I'm like, looked over. But uh, every time that fucking baby toy goes off, I just. Is jumped. this the light up walker thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's always at a shot because it's so low. And then they always trip on it like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Or sometimes it just cuts on also. <laughs> but we see the lady in white walk by in the distance. And Lorraine thinks it's Renee. She goes up there and she finds no one and goes into the bathroom to take a pill. She then sees the lady in white behind her and she goes to turn around the door shuts. But when she opens it up, Josh is standing there and tells her to stop all this ghost bullshit. And it's so fucking like you expect something to be there, but it's not Josh, right? Exactly. 
We cut to the next day. It's breakfast time. Because this movie's like a lot of hard cuts between times and, and locations. Yeah. And uh, Renee sees Josh playing with Foster outside and smiling and all seems to be good. And Dalton's telling Renee that he had a bad dream, you know, about somebody being behind his grandma. But that actually happened. It wasn't a dream. He was actually yeah. projecting again. Dalton tells Renee about his bad dream that he had. But the dream was actually real. Like he, he remembers telling his grandma somebody's behind her. And he follows out in the hallway because he hears talking and he sees Josh standing outside the bathroom door, like telling somebody, you know, just go, just go. You got to get out of here. Right. Oh. And then that's right before Lorraine opened the door and, and Josh thinks he sees something, but Dalton's not there when he turns around. Right. Okay. So all that really happened. He just didn't realize he was actually, he might even been astral projecting. He might have just woke up. He was yeah. fucking looking around, you know. But Lorraine goes to Lisa's house to see Specs and Tucker. I guess she, I'm, they might live there with her. I don't know. Yeah, but she knew to go find him there. Yeah. And uh, she tells him what she saw and that everything's still happening, right? So clearly it's not over. Tucker decides to show Lorraine where he brightened up the image, and you can see grown Josh was there talking to to young Josh in the background. Yeah, because it's a picture of the session from the, from the opening flashback of young Josh that yeah. we saw, and he's adult Josh is in the same room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he shouldn't be there. So we got some, like... Weebly wobbly timey wimey bullshit going on here. <laughs> well, keep in mind that we did uh, in the in the first one when uh, when Elise is explaining the further is that it's a place without time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when when they realize what's going on, you know, Lorraine's creeped out obviously, and she's like, "I wish Lorraine was here." And then fucking Specs and Tucker give each other a look, right? Like, what if she could be here? <laughs> uh, I do want to point out the desktop background on the computer when Tucker runs up to it, he's like oh I lightened up the image and cropped it when he goes to pull up the video you can see the desktop wallpaper and it, it's James Wan Lee Winnell and Angus Sampson who plays Tucker all sitting on a couch posing for a picture and he has to, <laughs> he pulls the movie file up on top of it so it's really nice that he snuck that in there okay yeah they're all Aussies that probably fucking knew each other from school or something right yeah I did not catch that but uh, I really like this scene because you know where you weren't a fan of, of Rose's acting. I really like her in these movies. Like, I like the cut in her eyes when something fucky happens, right? Yeah. Like, because it comes up here. But uh, the phone rings. It's the detective. And uh, he tells Renee that the handprints on Elisa's neck did not match Josh's. Dun, dun, dun. Which is kind of interesting because Josh's physical body, but like it, re- just like in the pictures, like it retains yeah. the bride in black, right? During this, it's like a tracking shot to the house. And this part, it's one of those fucky things again, man. <laughs> like, and I don't want you to mistake the part I'm talking about because it kind of happens twice, but one of them's a little bit yeah. more. Do you, you know what I'm getting at with this? Yep. Like, the camera's tracking with her while she's talking on the phone to the detective, and you can see off into the room to the side. It's a huge room, and in the very back corner by the window, there's the lady in white just sitting in a yeah, chair. It's, staring it's way at back her. to the right from our point of view. Right. right. And then she walks from that door to the next door so there's a wall in there for a second she's fucking gone right yep. and it's like what the fuck they're doing this shit again and you're waiting on the in the garden and the song just doesn't start playing <laughs> she thinks all's good and she I think she's sitting down on the stairs and the fucking baby toy goes off again yep but she didn't trip on it this time right no cause it's just sitting there next to her Renee Ch- and I'm pretty sure she does this like eye cut thing like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> with this shit again and she starts checking out the house and she sees the lady in white right and then she just fucking vanishes and then you hear her talking on the baby monitor with Callie and uh, Renee runs up and she's locked out of the room and you fucking hear the ghost slap the baby, which is fucked up. And Renee busts in and 
the lady in white's gone. This is this is hurting my head right now because I'm thinking about later in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She hears Callie crying downstairs and she runs down there and there's just a fucking explosion of toys. <laughs> it jump scared the <laughs> shit out of me. And uh, and you're like, oh my God, my heart's racing. And then the fucking lady in white pops in and jump scares you again like immediately afterwards. <laughs> Don't you dare! But we're back at Elise's again. And this time Carl shows up. He's older, obviously. And... He's chatting with the rain and the dudes, and he tries to commune with his dice because he's got these dice, and he'll ask a question, and he'll fucking he'll roll them and get an answer. And uh, contact's made, and he starts asking questions. So he's like, who killed you? Rolls the dice, says she did. Uh, what does she want? And then it replies with kill when he rolls the dice, right? <laughs> where is she? And it just says hiding. He said, where is she hiding? You can't get a word out of the dice, right? Yeah. And he says, where is your killer? And he rolls the dice and it says angels. And there's a hospital called, I think it's Our Lady of Angels and Lorraine used to work there. Yeah. Lorraine is the one who figures it out because they're like angels. What the hell does this mean? And she has that aha moment. And it's like, this must be important. You have to think of what happened here. So we cut back to the Lambert's house and Josh finds Renee and she's on the floor and he seems really fucking concerned. Like, even though we know he's possessed at this point, he still picks her up. Checking yeah. on her, lays her down on the couch, but then he fucking sniffs her body and smells like he's in ecstasy, and it's really fucking weird. Creepy Joe Biden. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's not the same kind of creepy sniff as from Paranormal <laughs> Activity either. You know what I mean? Where like Katie sniffs and attacks the camera. Yeah. But then we cut right back to the abandoned hospital. I want to point out, apparently this is an actual hospital that like services people, but it's the most used hospital like in filmmaking like they use okay. it for everything and they actually have like shut down sections of the hospital so you can use it for for making movies like this is the creepy movie wing it's yeah fun. Oh, i mean I'm, you send your set people in and make it look yeah. like whatever you need but i think it was really fucking neat that it was like a real hospital that's got like a section you can use that's cool but at the abandoned hospital the scooby gang are investigating <laughs> but carl finds a room we get a jump scare from it and uh it's the old icu room and lorraine's like i remember this room very well and they do a good job of like tying all these timelines together too. This movie, yeah, and I like I like the cut they do here because it's the dark, dank, rundown hospital, and the camera just moves laterally through yeah. the doorway, and you're back in time with everything lit and dressed. Yeah, because we cut to the flashback, and uh, young Josh is at work. I guess it's bring your child to work day. I know. Right? I have trouble with this. Bring your child to the fucking ICU day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some some businesses like that might have like a daycare or something. You can bring your kid in. She's just making her rounds real quick. Maybe she's about to get off work. Things were different in the 80s. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Let's not try to fix this. Uh, (laughs) But they're in an old man's room, and Josh is like, you know, fucking around looking at the equipment, and the man grabs Josh, right? Yep. And uh, he gets scared, you know, and they leave the room, and this, this, and that. A few days later, Lorraine sees him again getting on the elevator with her. And he's like in this fucking like flasher trench coat too. I'm like waiting on him to pop it open, do like a dick dance. <laughs> like what the fuck's he dressed like that for? Yeah. And she's like trying to talk to him because she's like, I'm sorry about my son the other day. And he's just not responding at all. Yeah. yeah. She apologizes for her son. Right. And they get off the elevator and he goes one way and she goes straight and she runs to the front desk and she's like, what's Parker doing out of his room? Right. Yeah. And uh, the lady's like, what are you talking about? He committed suicide this morning, right? Like he's dead. And she's like, what the fuck? And then we cut right back to modern time. And Lorraine tells the guys that he was in the hospital for trying to castrate himself. Yeah. Like what the fuck, man? <laughs> that, that, that came out of left field for me. <laughs> well, it starts to make sense in a minute, right? True. 
But then we cut right back to the Lamberts, and Josh wakes up from, like, napping on the couch, and one of his teeth falls out. Because at this point in the movie, we start he, he's starting to get the aging makeup on him. We're actually starting to see Josh look older as we go deeper into the movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a mixture of older and then that same kind of, like, insidious ghost makeup, in a yeah. way, right? But he runs in the mirror to check out where the tooth fell out, right? And he's like, this can't happen. And he's like, I want to live, you know? And, and you don't know who he's talking to, but then you hear a ghostly voice say... It's a woman's voice. Uh, his dead soul's wasting the body away, and then he has to kill them to live. Yep. He says, he's like, I don't want to, mother. It was very psycho to me when he said it. <laughs> and uh, But then he has a look like, but I guess I'm about to kill some motherfuckers, right? Like, like <laughs> you kind of, I believe that he didn't want to kill them. And like, it shall be done. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, I believe that, like, he was like, I, I can live this life out and fake like I'm Josh. Yeah. You know, this is a good life. But we cut back to the hospital again, and uh, this movie had been a, a fucking mess to edit, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> um, we cut back to the hospital. They have found Parker Crane's file, okay? Yep. And they find his last known address in the file. So this fucking hospital's, like, just been destroyed, shut down, dilapidated, probably vandalized, and the files made it. Like, that's the first thing, like, fucking piece-of-shit teenagers throw all over the place <laughs> and wipe their assholes with, right? <laughs> Anyways. Renee wakes up screaming on the couch and Josh runs to her checking on her and she's like, Callie's gone. Callie's gone. He's like, no, she's not. She's asleep in her room. And he takes her upstairs and he shows her where Callie's in the bed, right? Yeah. He's like, you got to ignore these things. They'll go away if we ignore them. But by this point, he's not being calm about it. He's actually being very stern with her. Yeah. yeah like authoritatively. Yeah. But then the fucking piano starts playing again. <laughs> they go downstairs and it stops. Renee starts thinking, wait a minute, that's my song. And I don't know if I said it in the first one, but I said she was working on music, but it's specifically like a love song. She's yeah. playing and singing over and over again, right? But Josh is like, what song? And she knows something's fucking up. And she's like, I wrote this song for you, right? Yep. So something's going on here. She knows something's a little fucky. And uh, he just picks up a bat, right? And he's like, someone's in the house. <laughs> he fucking walks off with the bat, which... Uh, this is this is pretty much the part of the movie where it starts feeling a little bit like Shining. Uh, <laughs> good point. I just think it's funny because the possession, because the the thing possessing Josh knows what it is, knows it's something spiritual. What the fuck's he gonna do with a bat? <laughs> but it's a nice thing. He's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> Torn between two worlds, I guess. <laughs> but uh, we cut back to the Scooby Gang, and they're at the Crane residence, and Tucker breaks open a window. Hey, look, they left the window open. And they climb through it. Carl senses that it's not a good place, he says. They smell something really bad. And they <laughs> have a heart smell. Right, right. And they have this fucking terrible idea to split up. Well, that's what you do in these movies, right? That is what normal people do in supernatural movies. These are paranormal investigators and psychics. Eh. <laughs> they're they're lost without a lease <laughs> exactly uh but we have carl and lorraine downstairs and the guys go upstairs ghost facer style right <laughs> ghost faces <laughs> i fucking love that um tucker thinks uh it's parker's room and speck says it can't be it's too girly and tucker says why i had dollhouse <laughs> he's like this is a rhode island red yeah because the whole room is decked out like it's a girl's room it's pink and fucking dollhouses and just yeah seeing but big he, ass tucker say that this is a rhode island red shit about the dollhouse though and then there's a bunch of rocking horses on the far wall and while they're talking about the dollhouse See, they just start rocking and the look on tucker and Spex's face is like oh 
fuck. That's, one of, that's another one of those things, man. I don't like all the rocking horses going because they're rocking really hard. It's weird to me. Like we could, it could have been subtle. Just, <laughs> just saying. The reaction though that we get out of Specs and Tucker is fantastic. <sighs> but then we hear a child's voice scream, "Get out!" Right, like in the room, and uh, they see a little girl on the bed, and the little girl says, "Get out of here! She's gonna kill you!" Right. Yep. And that's not creepy at all. <laughs> and then we immediately cut right back to the Lambert's house and Dalton's awakened by a voice on the tin can phone, which earlier when Dalton and Foster went to sleep, they each had yeah. the can in their bed and they'd pull the string tight and talk, right? Yeah. It's not going over to the other bed though. Nope. The other end of the string goes into the closet. The closet opens up and Dalton says, who are you? And the voice says, the ones he killed, we are many, which is super fucking creepy and (laughs) ominous. And then a woman scares the shit out of you when she jumps out of the closet. And then all of a sudden the room is full of women. They start fucking clawing at Dalton and he's trying to throw the the blanket over him. But it's like an out of body experience. He's not actually there. Right. And uh, it very much reminded me of paranormal activity when the witches are coming at the camera in different in different <laughs> ones, right? Yeah. Like when they go in the garage, mainly when, um, I think it's four when the girl jumps out the window when Katie's tearing through the door to yeah. get her. Yeah, it very much made me think of that. But uh, Renee comes in and wakes him up, and uh, the fucking blanket's got cuts in it, like something slashed through it. Yeah. Right? So, But then we cut back to possess Josh, and he's sitting there with the bat in the room staring at the piano, and he's like, you're trying to reach her, but you won't. Like, he's... I didn't really think of fucking Jack and the Shining, but you're right. Oh, big time, man. But uh, what does he say? He's like, the shadows are your home now. Yeah. And uh, he leaves the room, but then we cut to the, like, uh, it's really neat because he gets up and he goes in the room. I think he shuts the door and the room just turns dark. And it's the further and Josh is like, the real Josh is screaming and crying for help at the piano. Yep. So we now know that it's Josh. Like, please help me. So he's stuck in the further, not like trapped in the body with the ghost, right? Exactly. And like, I was... Honestly, the first time I saw the movie, I thought that was really neat when I saw that because for some reason it didn't click. Like, I thought it followed him back in. I didn't realize it got there before he did. Exactly the same for me. I had no clue that he was stuck in the further. Um, But we cut right back to the Crane residence and Carl's rolling the dice asking Elise why she brought them there, right? Because Elise said angels, right? And the chandelier starts unscrewing itself from the ceiling. Yeah. Very obvious. Like, we're supposed to see it happening. And the dice says Moore's which is Latin for death. (laughs) Lorraine comes in and sees a painting and says, that's the woman that was in our house. And you see the woman in white. The chandelier falls and it's going to land on Lorraine and Carl dives in and saves her. (laughs) And then the ghost facers come in (laughs) and Carl rolls the dice and says, you're not Elise, are you? And the dice say, no, the doors all start slamming in the house. And he rolls the dice again and says, who are you? And they say, mater mortis. And that means mother of death. Okay. And uh, he says it's quite literal. It's the yeah. the mother of Parker Crane. But then they start hearing a noise at the bookshelf. And then Speck starts knocking on the bookshelf and it knocks back at him. Yeah. And then they move the bookshelf and they find a hidden room and it just smells like absolute shit. So they know where that smell is coming from now. And it's full of decomposed bodies sitting in pews that are randomly in this room yeah. with sheets over them. But it's creepy as fuck looking. Yeah. And I don't know if I fucking nodded off or something, but I, for some reason, my brain didn't connect that this was still in the crane house. I thought this was in the hospital because I thought it was like an old, uh, like a little sanctuary or whatever right. in a hospital. But this is what we talked about before, man. The tension for me, this is the scene. It's like, 
One of them's going to get you. One of them's going to get you. Well, and, and part of the <laughs> creepiness of it is why is there a church randomly in the house? I know. But what is Parker Crane's slasher name? The Bride in Black. So it's like it's a wedding uh, in a chapel, okay, right? Okay, okay. Right, right. Chapel. That's the word I was looking for. But you know this is going to end badly with all these bodies <laughs> under sheets in a fucking James Wan movie, right? And um, they find a trunk near the front of the chapel, and it's full of newspapers referring to the bride in black. Yep. It's an old woman in a black wedding dress with a veil, and she had claimed her 15th victim, right? At this point, though, would, is Parker Crane a slasher? Can we add Parker Crane to the slasher list? I guess. Serial killer, 15 victims, has a costume. Um, <laughs> I do want to point out, they used a man to play the woman in black in Insidious 1. It was a man in makeup and costume. Yeah. They hadn't written Insidious 2 nope. yet, and they had not come up with the Parker Crane thing. It's not the same guy, no. but they just happened to make you know Parker Crane a man playing an old woman. Yeah, that just happened to be that way, and then the gender-bending thing worked. You get a little bit of a jump scare because they find the costume on a mannequin at the front of the chapel, and Carl looks at it like... I don't want to do this, but fuck. He grabs it to touch it, right? And he gets a vision of Parker dressing in drag, putting makeup on, and killing women. I, I got to go back to my daylight. I'm sorry. But there's a, <laughs> there's a killer called the nurse, and she can like teleport around. And they added skins. It's a video game, right? Yeah. And one of her skins is a bride in black with a veil, and it turns her knife into... Well, she always had kind of a, a surgical axe, but it's a, it looks exactly like the surgical axe you see sitting... Like the bones all you see on the table. In the oh, scene. okay, okay. And it, I mean, they're big horror fans, so it had to have been like a throwback to this movie, even though the nurse has nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> but it, it was kind of fucking neat. Anyways, Parker was disguised to kill for his mother. He wanted his childhood back, and that's why he went after Josh in the 80s. He's yeah. like, I want to be a kid because I never got to be one. This also makes the castration make more sense, too. Well, he never got to be a boy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh renee pulls up to the house and lorraine's there and, and jumps out and stops her from going in she makes sure the kids are okay because the kids were dropped off at the babysitter jessica's house and um kelly was with her still though the boys were dropped off okay and she's like come with me that's not josh in the house <laughs> so then we cut to the van and the ghost facers are putting a wire on carl to send him in and tucker tells him that the code word is quesadilla <laughs> Speck says he thought it was unicorn. I remember that. And Tucker reminds him that it's easier to bring up quesadilla in conversation. Not at all. They're so fucking weird, man. It's perfect though. And uh, but Carl doesn't think it matters what the word is because they'll know he's in fucking trouble to come help him, right? Yeah. They hand him a trank and they send him in. So Carl knocks at the door, Josh answers, and he looks like absolute dog shit at this point. Yeah, he's faded bad. <laughs> and he says, I know you don't remember me, but I knew you when you were a kid, and I knew Elise, and I need closure. Yeah. And he lets him in, okay? Because uh, he's trying to play it cool. We cut to Renee and Lorraine, and Lorraine explains the plan. Uh, we cut back to Carl and Josh, and they're talking, and Josh is explaining what happened to Carl. And he sees his tooth on the ground, right? And he tries to like <laughs> slyly put his foot down and drag it. And then he drops something. I think it's he, a dice or he, something. He drops his glasses. He drops his glasses so he can pick up the tooth and pocket <laughs> it. And uh, he asks Josh about the bride in black. And Josh is like, no, I never saw her. And, uh, and he, he's like, do you want something to drink? I can get you tea or water. And he's like, yeah, I'll take a water. So Josh leaves the room. And fucking. Carl is not Jason Bourne. Okay. So he no. stands up. He's by the bookshelf. And he's prepping the syringe, and Josh catches him from behind, and he's like, oh, are you playing with your dice? Mother was telling me about your dice, and, and Carl's like, I didn't realize you'd spoken with your mother today. And mother could go either fucking way at this yeah. point, right? 
And then uh, Carl's like, what's behind your back? Because Josh is sitting there like holding a teacup in one hand with a shit-eating <laughs> grin with his other hand behind his back, which I immediately thought was the baseball bat, right? That's what I thought, too. And he's like, why don't you ask your dice? It'll be fun. Come on, roll your dice. So he rolls the dice, and Carl says, what is Josh? What is Parker Crane holding behind his back? And it says knife. Josh is not amused by this at all when he realizes that it's Parker Crane. Yeah. And we cut to the ghost facers in the van, and they figure out what's going on. They're like, shit. They get out, and they start running in, and Carl and Josh are fighting. Specs runs in to save the day and gets knocked right the fuck out. Okay. Yeah, he does. And then Tucker's got a taser, and he fucking tases Josh, who's holding Carl. So Carl just got shocked too, right? Yes. Like, and and then Josh tranks Tucker with the tranquilizer. And he fucking falls on Specs, and then the Specs wakes up, but he can't fucking get up because Tucker's on him. And then Josh smashes him in the face and knocks him right back out. Yeah, the whole thing just goes completely belly up. It's very Scooby Doo at this point. I know I said Scooby Gang earlier, but like it really is this point. <laughs> we cut back to the further, and Josh is trying to help Carl up off the ground because now Carl's in the further. Yep. Carl says, uh, I guess I'll have to ask where I'm at. <laughs> and Josh's like, he killed you. I'm sorry. And he lets him know he's getting like he's getting weaker, right? So the longer he's away from his body, the weaker he gets, which is why I guess Dalton, three months being gone, he, he couldn't find his way back, right? Yeah. But he's like, I got to save my family. And then they start thinking about it. Elise has to be in here somewhere, right? So let's go looking for Elise. Possibly. Now, one, not to blow holes through this movie, but, you know, why would Elise... If Elise is dead and she was in the further, wouldn't she be the first person to realize this is like the in-between? This is purgatory. I need to find my way out. Or did she stay behind to stay in contact? Well, here's the thing, though. If you want to think about it, she knows Parker Crane, or at least the Bride and Black killed her. Yeah. She knows that Josh didn't make it back. So she would have stayed behind. She she yeah. hopes that Tucker and Specs are like, please be fucking smart enough to try to contact me. Ghost faces. <laughs> But we once again hear Parker's mom, who I don't think has a name in the movie, <laughs> telling him he's going to have to kill the others. And he's like yelling, shut up to her, you know. And uh, we see Renee dropping Callie off with the sitter with the boys now. And Lorraine gets a text from Tucker saying they're ready. Like, everything's good to go. We got Josh now. Yeah, We know this is bullshit, though. <laughs> yeah. We go back to the further and Carl and Josh are looking for Elise and Carl can see ghosts that Josh can't see for some reason. And yep. That actually makes less sense in a minute. No, I guess he's a, he's clairvoyant. He's psychic. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was thinking like traveler versus ghost. Who's not actually a ghost really, but it's the clairvoyant part that I guess is kicking in. And, uh, <laughs> This is kind of jarring because he's like, you know, right there in front of you and the camera cuts to Josh's point of view to get a jump scare of a creepy old naked man saying, he's got your baby. He's got your baby. Yeah. Just like yelling it right in his face. <laughs> and he uh, fucking points at Josh's house. So Josh can see his house and he can see the ghost, the Danzig ghost in Callie's room <laughs> from the first movie while Josh and Renee are in the bed discussing everything that's happening. So we've cut to the first movie now, and they're, like, fucking coinciding. Yep, this is where shit gets neat for me. Oh, this is my favorite part of the movie. Uh, Josh fucking runs the door, and he's knocking on the door. So we now have the knocking, and they do a really good job of cutting from Insidious 2 to Insidious 1. Yep. But out-of-body experience, Josh attacks the Danzig ghost, so we know why it disappeared now, right? Yep. But then Elise comes up and, like, fucking banishes it, basically. Yeah. But Elise, you know, is reunited with him. She tells him he's got to go stop the entity and that he's going to have to go to young Josh for help. Yeah. Right. 
you find out why Josh says, I'll show you at this point, because young Josh is still in tuned with his traveler self enough, I guess, to know, because apparently it's not like a parallel universe of our world. I guess doors connect in a weird way. Yeah. Further, right. Yeah. And he's been seeing the woman in black every night. So if anybody's going to know where her house is, it's him. We cut to that scene. We see Josh, young Josh point. The door opens. So that's what that was about. Just like at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So you're starting, you know, not only did we have the stuff from what happened at their house at the front door with the alarm, the man upstairs, now back to young Josh and why he pointed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We cut back to Lorraine's house and we see Renee and Lorraine go in and they find Josh playing with the dice. He looks deathly as fuck and he gets up and chase him because they know something's <laughs> up because he has Carl's dice, right? Yeah. They barricade the door with the piano. And uh, they fucking hurt him somehow. I don't remember. I think they smash his hand yeah. with the door. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he's like, oh, I like feeling pain. You know what I mean? Because he hasn't felt shit in a while. Just like when he smelled her. He's like, I guess he didn't smell anything in a while. Yep. But he, he fucking busted the door and he splits up Lorraine and Renee and he knocks Renee down with a pot. Right. Like he okay. fucking just chunks an answer in the head. <laughs> and uh, and he explains that he didn't want to kill the whole family, but his mom wanted him to. And he has to now. Right. Yeah. And then we cut outside and the babysitter Jessica shows up and drops off all three kids. While Parker tries to choke Renee out. Very similar to the way he choked Elise, right? It's his move. <laughs> it's, just, it's all he got. It's rolled the dice move. Um, it's really cool, though, because it, it cuts between Josh choking her and the bright and black. Yeah. Like, it flashes back and forth. And then out of nowhere, Dalton cracks Parker in the back of the head of the bat. And they run down the basement, right? Meanwhile, the geriatric Scooby gang... <laughs> Bust through a red door. <laughs> wait, wait, what's the geriatric Scooby game? <laughs> Out of body experience, Josh. Okay. Ghost Elise and Ghost Carl. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not watch these movies, Josh? <laughs> I think this is the part where I woke up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But they go back into Parker's room and you see Parker's a child sit on the bed like what Specs and Josh saw. And uh Parker's mom is slapping him for drawing this cute little picture that says, I love you, mom. Normally you'd get an all, but this is fucking bitch slaps. Yeah. And um, he wrote Parker yep. for the signature. And she's like, your name's not Parker, it's Marilyn. And uh, we find out that she made him be a girl at this point, right? Like, it's, it's fucking solidified. Yep. And then she notices Carl and Lorraine standing there and banishes them out of the room. Um, Did you see the thing, the rig that they used for that? Uh-uh. They, uh, they showed it. They... <laughs> So they had this rig that just like drug them out like on a on a dolly, and uh, the front of it was covered in black sheets. And they had to keep fussing at uh, Lynn Shea because when it would start moving, she'd grab it. James <laughs> was like, "You're not on a roller coaster. <laughs> we need to get this shot." <laughs> Fucking, we're not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I was gonna say that uh, Lynn Shea's a national treasure. Okay, she is, and she, I, I worry. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, hate, I hate to even say that. Sorry. Anyways, <laughs> it's just, it was a neat little behind the scenes thing where she, she was messing it up. And uh, there goes that train again. Choo, choo, off the fucking rails. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, where was I? But yeah, so she split Josh, Carl, and Lisa up, right? We cut back to the basement, and Dalton's like, I can go get dad, right? And he just like, he, he digs out a little hidey hole and he sits in. And this is where we, once again, just like Josh, we can see the traveler can be like, peace and they're out right yeah and he just fucking straight out of body experiences and runs to the red door to go get his dad but he's got he's got the somewhere in here no he's got the can of the string string. because he's holding it because like i guess time and space are infinite and the further and he can just walk wherever with it and still 
talk with his mom here, right? Well, it, re- it reminded me of Poltergeist. What, with the tether? With like the, the rope? The tether, yeah. yeah. But separated Josh is stuck in a room with all the dead women in sheets, right? And yeah. you're just you're just waiting for fucking Parker Crane's mom to be under one and she's not and she's not and she's not and then she fucking is yeah. right? and it, it gets you it's one of those things like if you wait long enough you think they're not gonna do it because James Wan does that where you think there's gonna be a jump scare and there's not like yeah. uh, with the fucking mom and the conjuring and you're waiting on the ghost to appear in the mirror and it never does right but Elise is just yelling destroy her right and uh, <laughs> at this point we just keep cutting back and forth between the further and Parker trying to Hulk smash his way into the basement okay so Specs wakes up, gets Lorraine. Meanwhile, Renee uh, beats the shit out of Parker, best she can. And Parker ends up knocking her over and finding Dalton sleeping in his hidey hole, right? He's got a knife or something he's going to fucking kill him with. Elise sees little Parker in the further and tries to get him to help get rid of the mom, right? Because he's not a fan of the mom at this point in time in his life. (laughs) Which is weird that, like, ghost Parker is a kid. I guess he was always stuck that way, though, if you think about it, because his mom always made him kill for her and yeah. he dressed like a woman when he did it. So maybe he was just stuck that way. But Josh finds the mom under the sheet. We knew it was coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we cut back to the basement. Specs is fighting Parker and he loses. No shock. And Josh tries to kill Dalton with a hammer when a knife is fucking hammer. That's it's even it worse. But Elise fucking smashes the mom in the further with a chair, which stops fucking Parker. I don't. I don't yeah, know how this to connect. It's this weird jumping back and forth between what's affecting <laughs> the real world and the further and shit. And the further just starts fucking collapsing in on itself, right? And we find out that Carl's not dead yet, and he can leave because she said when she meets him, "You don't belong here." Yeah. And then she hugged him, and apparently she could feel his heartbeat. So it's like he's like on the verge of death, so he can run back. Yeah. And that makes me think he's gonna pop up, you know, in a later film maybe. But they start running through the darkness, and they're getting chased by ghosts all over that want to follow them out, just like in the first one. They find Dalton, because he's like, Dad, Dad, and he's got the string, the tether, just like you said. They follow the tether out, and they all fucking wake up in the house. Renee's a little reluctant for a second, right? Like She's like, <laughs> you damn right she is. <laughs> which is smart. Like, a lot of times in these movies, people are just, like, openly believe them, you know? And, she's like, yeah. and he's like, I tried to reach you with your song. She says she should have known it was him, because nobody else could play the song that badly. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and then fucking Tucker just smashes through the fucking wall here. Bring it! So he's finally woke the fuck up. Yeah. And we did get tranked. Specs just got knocked out. So, yeah. But then, you know, Carl's hypnotizing Josh and Dalton, and he's going to make them forget that it all happened, make them forget the travelers, and that should cut them off from this happening. Yeah, we have to fix the shit with both, y'all. We don't want to do this anymore. Right, right, because if one of them can travel and go too far, and the spirits will try to follow them in, so let's just make it where you motherfuckers lost your power, right? We cut to Tucker and Specs, and they're showing up on somebody's doorstep randomly, and the family doesn't know them, doesn't want them there, and they're like, we traveled to help people, and then you can see, like, Elisa's ghost up here, right? Yep. And, um... Elisa's ghost just kind of steps past everybody and goes inside and finds a girl named Allison and she's comatose like in a in a wheelchair. It's like she's fucking a vegetable almost just sitting there. And you start hearing this fucking clicking sound in the darkness and Elise looks up and she gets the shit scared out of her and it's the fucking end. And it's supposed to be the lipstick demon. Yeah. So everybody was anticipating the lipstick demon being in Insidious 3, which ended up being a prequel. Yeah. And uh, not made by James Wan. <laughs> Neither was the fourth one. I enjoy all four movies so far. So it, it's another successful franchise that was started by them. There was a couple of interesting facts. I kind of jumped straight into the movie, but young Josh is young Tim from the Oculus. 
So we got a little Flanagan. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got a little Flanagan wand crossover here. The Panasonic VCR, some of the letters are rubbed off when they're playing the tape at Elise's, and it just says panic. Ah. So it's a nice little- Foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah it's a nice little touch there. Um, Lee Winnell, Rose Byron, and Angus Simpson and James Wan are all Australian, and there's like Australian flag randomly in the boys' room. Right? Oh, okay. So they just kind of threw that in there. And um, I already covered that one. Yeah, so I mean, like, this was, he he made a sequel, right? Like like I said, he was uh, the first Insidious film, sold in four hours at the film festival. Did really well. Why not make a second one? I saw what happened with Saul. I'm going to make my own fucking <laughs> sequel. And he set up Lee Winnell well, because Lee Winnell's written all four of them, I think. Yeah. And he directed the third one, I believe. Yeah, he directed one of them. Yeah, he directed three or four. So he's got a chance to, you know, take a stab at directing now as well. And at this point, we get like a we get a three year break on horror movies from James Wan, yeah. and uh, he comes back to the Conjuring verse with Conjuring Two in 2016. So with the Conjuring Two, it's written by the same crew. We got the Warrens back, and what really scared me was this was going to be a rinse and repeat. Number one, we're on a different case that takes place across the pond, so mm-hmm. it automatically feels different. Thank God. This is my favorite movie out of all these. Um, oh, really? Maybe even Saw. I haven't really decided yet. But uh, it's set in 77. Couple real quick things. The soundstage that this was shot on for the, all the interior shots of the house was rumored to be haunted for decades. Okay. So they had that weirdness going on. The set was blessed in case there was bad juju from the first one. So we opened with the seance in Amityville. And uh, Lorraine's hearing voices. And she sees the... Uh, the murder's happening through Ronnie's eyes. It's a really cool scene how they did it, too. Yeah, because she's, like, walking around handling the lever-action rifle and everything. And uh, she ends up seeing something that we don't see and just starts crying. And uh, then she sees this boy. And she follows the boy, ends up going down into the basement. It's all the dead family members are all down there. And they point out the mirror. And uh, so she goes over to the mirror, and she sees, and she gets choked by the fucking nun. which. Uh, I don't remember if I said this earlier. All the shots with the nun were reshoots. Okay. Because the whole movie, it was originally a generic demon. Okay. I think I remember reading that at some point when yeah. the movie first came out. I'm one of those guys, like, I go, I see a movie open at night, I come home, I get on Reddit, right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, I start finding all this shit I can't. I go to YouTube, you know. See, my problem is I go home and then watch a shitty movie on Netflix. Um, <laughs> then she sees something happen to Ed, but it's in the shadows. We can't really see what it is. And... Uh, we cut back to her waking up. I do want to say at the seance, Vera is wearing like a complete matched outfit of one of Lorraine Warren's outfits. And there's a guy sitting at the table with them that looks like they're trying to make him look like Stanley Kubrick. I'm not <laughs> sure if there's a tie in there at all. But anyways, so we're off to Enfield, England, and um, we get the, the title card. So we start off with Janet at school with her friend and her friend's like, hey, I needed to give you the spirit board we made back. And these are young school children. Yeah, yeah. And she's smoking a cigarette. And so she asks Janet to hold it for her while she gets the spirit board out of her bag or whatever. Teacher comes out, catches them, they get in trouble and shit. Of course, catches Janet with the cigarette in her hand, not the friend, right? Exactly. That's how shit always goes down, man. Your <laughs> parents are always like, yeah, you were just holding it. <laughs> so we're introduced to older sister Margaret and uh, the brothers Billy and Johnny. And uh, Billy is getting picked on for stuttering because that's how they're talking to him. It's like, hi, Billy. And uh, they get home. We're introduced to mom, Peggy, who's obviously fucking broke and stressed. Yes. And uh, 
All Billy cares about is biscuits. He wants his fucking he biscuits. Wants his fucking biscuits, man. And uh, this is where we get the what I call the the James Wan shot now. This is the longest one out of all these movies of this continuous shot. I think there's some fake cuts going through some windows to get in and out of some rooms, but whatever. It's neat and it kind of goes around and shows us the layout of the house and um, all the kids and everything. And uh, the shot ends on Janet with the spirit board. And 3 a.m. comes along and Janet wakes up on the living room floor. So it's whatever, right? So the next day, the neighbor lady from Cross Street comes over. Peggy's doing laundry down in the basement and a fucking pipe breaks with the washer. And uh, we got to seeing the Warrens being grilled on a TV interview about Amityville, about how the whole thing's BS and shit. Which that did really happen a lot. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so it was neat. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because it was neat that they, they actually put it in the movie. So that made me feel better like, there's some heated shit about this to some people. So at least it's acknowledged. Yeah. I mean, it's no mystery that I listened to last podcast on the left. I refer to it all the time. And I was listening to a random episode the other day and it was about Ouija boards and they referenced the Warrens and they called like shit sucking leech vampires and this, this and that. And I was like, Oh, clearly they don't like the Warrens. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, the conjuring movies are fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but this night we see, uh, the crooked man zoetrope, um, with Billy and Janet. And cause it does the song, you know, there was a crooked man who walked a crooked mile and, uh, it's helping him with a stutter. And, um, uh, we end up seeing Janet waking up from a nightmare and she's arguing with someone, but it's a man's voice coming out of Janet arguing back. And uh, he says something about how she's trespassing and that he's going to kill her mom and Billy. And Margaret's watching all this. She's in the same bedroom. This and, is a uh, this is much better voiceover dubbing than we had with young Elise and old Elise. Oh, in yeah, the past yeah, yeah. When we get to the interview part and everything. Oh, it's fucking. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to talk about cinematography on that scene. Well, not even that. The 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 first one when she's sitting on the on the couch. If we, we'll, we'll get to it though. <laughs> I love that. But uh, Margaret puts her back in bed, and uh, all of a sudden she comes over at Margaret's bed and yells in the old man's voice, "This is my house." So once again, another movie filled with quick cuts. We get Billy walking downstairs, and in the edge of the shot, you can actually see the old man in the chair. Yes. Anyways, the important part is he ends up kicking his fire truck into the tent because he's got this tent down the hall from his bedroom. And uh, he goes into his bedroom and the fucking fire truck comes rolling in there. <laughs> and then no kid, no. He fucking gets up, gets the fire truck, goes back over to the tent and rolls it back in. And uh, of course, it fucking rolls back out and we hear the old man scream. And... uh he goes to mom and of course mom sends him to bed and finds Janet asleep in the chair downstairs. Same chair we just saw the old man in. And uh, this is actually kind of neat because this was allegedly done in camera where it goes from panning. Mom takes her upstairs and it pans over from the stairs back over to the living room and you see it daytime outside and it rains and then it, the camera tilts down and there's Janet sitting on the couch. According to her in an interview, the, the girl that played Janet they did that in one shot. She, That's really her, cool. she walked out of frame and then ran back in and sat on the couch. So Janet's watching TV and channel keeps fucking changing. And, um, uh, there's a bunch of back and forth with that. And, uh, the remote ends up in the chair and TV goes to static and she's doing the, the smacking it thing, trying to get it to come back on and it shuts off. And we see the old man's reflection over by over in the chair in the glass from the TV. 
and she looks over and the remote's floating in the air and falls to the ground. This is one of those scenes that I always talk about like in James Wan and Mike Flanagan movies where like the way the couch is set up where something could pop up from behind the couch the whole time. I spent the whole scene, waiting all three times there. I've watched this movie, waiting on something to pop up from behind the fucking couch that never came. <laughs> it's the most miserable feeling. Like, it's going to get me. It's going to get me. But after she sees the remote drop, it cuts right back over to her and the TV and the old man pops up beside the TV and beside her and goes, my house. And like that, that works for me. I can so compare that to the, uh, when we see the lipstick man, like, Yeah. to me, this one works. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just, I'm demons are fine by me. Like I'm cool. Like they don't scare <laughs> me, but old men creep me out. I don't know. I really, I honestly, I think it might've been like whatever state of mind you saw the first one in the first time. And then like, you know, because you're kind of strong-willed on that in a way to yourself. You're like, it looks like Darth Maul, and I think it's stupid. And then from then on out, it doesn't work on you anymore. It may be. And so, you know, you might have been in a bad mood or doing something else. Because, like, you'll you'll say things that you're like, man, this was so clever. It scared me so well. And I'm like, that's just, like, fucking insidious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we go to see what's up with the, uh, the Warrens. And Ed has had a dream, and he needs to paint it out of a system. And it's the nun. And it's, he tells Lorraine, he's like, I had this dream, I saw this thing, and I just thought painting it would help. It is a creepy, creepy looking fucking painting. This too. is also one of the first times when you know the demon's name. I want to say, like, David and I saw this open at night, and because uh, back when we used to be able to have horror movie nights where we started having kids, <laughs> and every time it showed the name, I pointed out to him, and he's like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, so I was like, that's got to be something's name later, and yeah. they're going to use it, you know, and it's just... I don't really feel like that was like staple your head to the carpet. I think it was very cleverly hidden. I just think I caught it once. And you used to always use the name Malik, I think, on stuff when we were kids. Yes. And I caught it because of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, very specifically like, because I think the first time you see it, it might be refrigerator magnet letters or something. It's in there so many times. I can't remember which one yeah. it was first. But I saw it and I called it very specifically because of that. And this was back <laughs> in the theater when it came out, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was fucking really cool. But I don't think it was, like, very in your face. Like, almost no. everybody I've met didn't notice that. Actually, I remember there being, like, all over the internet after the movie came out. Like, this is what you missed, you know? And I don't know. It was fucking very neat and subtly hidden in the background. Yeah, the big wooden letters on the bookcase later, those are the only ones that are, like, really in your face. So, Lorraine is saying that she wants to take a break from investigations. And um, so, we go back to Janet, and she's now tying herself to her bed with a jump rope because she's, quote-unquote, sleepwalking. And, uh, of course, she wakes up in the floor, and there's this knock on the bedroom door, and she goes to investigate it, and she sees the chair move downstairs. And uh, she runs back to her room, and she blocks the door with a chair once she's inside, and she goes and gets in bed, and we hear the chair slide over to her bed. (laughs) And uh, the door opens, and we hear these footsteps approach the bed. And you can hear the old man breathing and wheezing and shit, and the covers are yanked off of her. And Janet gets bit. And, of course, the bed shake. Both the girls go run into Mom. And uh, Mom goes in there. And she's look- there's something in our room. And she's looking around. And she finds the spirit board. And she's like, you've been scaring each other silly. And she rips it in half. And then the dresser flies across the fucking room and slams the door shut. Right, right. That's when you, like, you don't get that, like, the parent thinks that you're scaring yourself with the Ouija board for, like, a couple of days. It's just like, no, fuck you. This is real. Yeah. So the family runs to the neighbor's house across the street and the cops show up and she's trying to say what happened. And they're like, could be, could be rats. <laughs> it's like, there's <laughs> some big rats. 
And uh, they really think it's all BS until the chair fly, slides across the hallway that the cop was standing on and then slides into the kitchen, like putting it back where it belongs. <laughs> and they're like, sorry, we can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the lady cop says she'll reach out or Bobby or whatever you want to call her. Um, <laughs> she says she'll reach out to, uh, to her priest. So we cut back to the Warrens and Judy spots the nun down the hallway and Lorraine goes to investigate. And in my notes, I call this Ed's office. Just to me, it feels like it's, it's Ed's office. The the paintings are in there and everything. And, um, so we see three paintings. There's one, the nun painting hanging on the wall. There's a painting of the house from the first conjuring on an easel. And there's another painting in the floor. And I did a bunch of digging trying to figure this out. And to me, it's from Insidious. Okay. I mean, maybe it's just a house in darkness and then a small figure in the darkness looking at the house. I can't, uh, so I couldn't tell if it was holding a lantern or not, but it's gotta be the further in the house. I'm sure it is. Cause I mean, he throws Billy in where he can and yeah. this, this, this and that, but it just, it bugged me that I poked around on the interwebs and couldn't find anything definitive on it. I found lots of speculation must be from an upcoming project. Anyways, <laughs> like no, the nuns from a fucking upcoming project. Anyways, this scene <laughs> You told me you didn't like this scene. This scene fucks me up. This scene is phenomenal until the nun gets to the painting. Because we've got, you know, the lights going on and off and the shutters closed and everything. But what ends up happening is we see the shadow go from behind the one painting, slowly along the wall to behind the nun painting. And then the hands reach, like in the real world, the hands reach out from behind the painting around to both sides. And at this point, I could have the nun burst out of the painting. I could have the, the painting become its own thing. But anything other than the nun appearing out of the wall, still holding the painting and charging at Lorraine with painting like, oh, I'm a painting. I'm coming to get you. I think it was because like, you know, James Wan likes to make you think this scary thing's going to happen. And then and then a different one happens and it like fucks you a little bit more in the head. I I wonder if it was kind of that thing. But I mean, I never really thought about it being cheesy at all and telling like what is Josh not like about this scene? So when I went back and rewatched it, I'm like, okay, this shadow walker room is creepy as fuck. Okay, it's it's behind the painting, this is creepy. And then it runs out like headbutts or whatever, and I'm like, ah, it's gotta be what Josh didn't like. Exactly. <laughs> Let alone that it looks like fucking Marilyn Manson, but whatever. And no offense to the chick that played the nun, but she's creepy looking. Okay. I'm just without the makeup. I mean, no offense. Like they casting was good there. She has an uncomfortable presence. Sounds like a horrible thing to say about somebody. I would have said she has like unique bone structure or something, um, but fuck tact coming from Josh. <laughs> so once she gets charged, they're, they're both back in the basement. And Lorraine screams, tell me who you are. And uh, the nun points over to Ed being impaled. That's when we can actually see something happen. And uh, then we see that Lorraine's still on the couch and she's scribbling violently in her Bible. And... Uh, I think Judy's in the room with her too, right? Like yeah, witnessing this. Cause I think Judy like kind of wakes her up and, um, uh, I put in my notes and the answer is all around her because <laughs> there's the bracelet, the wood letters she's scribbling in the Bible. So back at the, uh, the Hodgson's residence, we've got the TV crew shows up for an interview and the important people being Mr. Gross. I think his first name is Maurice and Anita, the bitch and, uh, <laughs> run Lola run. <laughs> so, they're doing the little interview and asking Janet questions and she starts growling and uh, the old man's voice comes out and says, Janet is asleep and I'm talking. And um, Mr. Gross, <laughs> Mr. Gross uh, asks for his name and he's like, my name is Bill Wilkins and I'm 72 years old. 
Um, where do you come from? I come from the grave. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? And uh, what happened to you? I died in the chair in the corner. It's like, why are you doing this to this family? It's like, I like to hear them scream. <laughs> and uh, I forget what the mom says. And then all of a sudden, Janet, like, bows up or stands up and yells right at her. Shut up, you old cow. And, of course, <laughs> it's still in the old man voice. So the family's staying with the neighbors while all this is going on. And uh, But they did the interview back over at the house. And we've got the night that, uh, I think this is the night Billy meets the uh, the crooked man. Because he gets woke up by the dog bell. Because they had showed him that they, they train the dog, the front door and the back door have bells. And the dog can just ring the bell when he needs to go take a shit or whatever. And uh, I don't remember the dog's name, but he starts wandering around and he's, he's saying the dog's name. And he ends up by the back door and the dog's sitting there. And I fucking love this shot. CGI or not, the dog morphs into the crooked man. And it looks great to me. On paper, I would shit on it. But I like it. I like it when I see it. You know what I mean? Like, what, it, And what's fucked up about it is what happens immediately afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I love my practical effects. And so does James Wan. And that is clearly not practical <laughs> effects when it shift, shape shifts. Yeah. Uh, but I, like what happens afterwards, I, I fucking love that part even more. So the, uh, so the crooked man starts chasing Billy down the hall. And is he saying the rhyme then? Or is that I later think so. on? I can't remember. But uh, so he runs into the back in the room where everybody's at. And it's like, oh, my God, he's coming to get me. And you hear he, he is saying it because you can hear him. The crooked man saying the thing as the shadows approach in and around the corner comes Janet. And it was her. And then she collapses. So uh, whatever. That's what I'm saying. Like we go from the dog to the crooked man to Janet. I don't know what really just happened. <laughs> and actually, she she growls, screams and the fireplace cover goes flying across the room and into like a china hutch and then she collapses and um i think all the light bulbs explode or something so we get to the tape from the interview being played for the warrens and they're asked to go see if it's real or not and lorraine is still like i don't want to go because you know she's having she won't tell ed what she's been seeing and what's going on is something has sucked some life out of her which we kind of go back into in the nun but if i remember right and uh she doesn't want her fucking husband to die Based on what she's saying. Yeah, I think somewhere in the movie she tells them they could like just do college tours for now and stop taking cases. Exactly. And he knows something's up. <laughs> I do want to say there's a really good line before they go there. When Lorraine's like, I don't want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I think she tells him at that point that she had a vision. And he's like, we've never told a family we won't help them. Yeah. And I, I think it's a very like strong part. And then that convinces her to go, right? Yeah. But it's just, I don't know. Like the the family or couple dynamic between the two of them is very strong on this movie. And yeah. I like it. I kind of dig it. Yeah. And this one, it's almost like we have parallel stories. We have the infilled haunting and then we have the Warrens. So they're checking out the house and, uh, they see that the, the girl's room has been chained shut due to all the activity <laughs> in there. And Ed goes in the room's fucking trashed and the walls are covered in crosses. This is, uh, it's very poltergeist reminiscent too. Like who's got the key to this room exactly. kind of thing. Right. And, uh, we get the scene with Lorraine out on the swing with Janet and telling her the angel story. And what's interesting right here is if that scene all of a sudden feels jarring and Janet, once Janet starts speaking up about how she can't see her friends at school anymore and all this, it's like, where did that come from? There was a whole bit with them being thrown out of school. Okay. Because they're all making fun of her. The shit's in the newspaper all because of the TV interview. Yeah. And uh, the movie's fucking long enough. So if it was cut for pacing, good. <laughs> but because uh, I think they like throw blood on her or something or paint on her 
Well, it, it's paint either way. They, <laughs> I want to say in the deleted scene, they show up at school and they throw something on Janet and the teacher comes out and tells her that she can't come back to school until she gets this taken care of. Right. Like victim shaming and shit. <laughs> but she's telling a story that she saw the angel and she didn't think that anybody believed her. And then when she met someone that did believe her, she married him. <laughs> and uh, it's setting up more of that, you know, this tight bond between the Warrens and more importantly, befriending Janet. So they kind of work together. And, um, <laughs> Ed's asking is asking Peggy, like, where's dad? And, uh, where, where is he in the picture? And, uh, she's like, does she say had twins with the lady around the corner or something like that? Yeah, so basically dad's out of dad has definitely not come back. He knocked up a stranger and, uh, he asked about the chair and she's like, all the furniture came in the house when we bought it. So they go to do the whole bit again of talking to bill through Janet. Now they're going to have her do it with a mouthful of water. To prove that it's real. This is my favorite scene in this movie. Yeah. And uh, it's not working. It's like he won't do it with all y'all watching. And of course, I think Anita's still, Anita and Mr. Gross are still hanging out. And Anita's like, like, she's not buying any of this shit. So he won't do it with them listening. Or sorry, he won't do it with them watching. So she asks him to turn around. So they turn around and Ed calls out Bill. And we see Janet out of focus behind Ed slowly morph into bill while all, all this is taking place. And I like it. Like it would have still been cool if it literally morphed from her to him, but it's like, it's all blurry and out of focus the whole time. So it's like subtle in a way, which adds like 10 levels of fucked up creepiness to it. Yeah. I love it because it makes you think at first you're like, is that what's happening back there? Am I seeing that? And like, before you realize it, you're like, Oh, that's an old man. And then right. by the time you realize it, it starts turning back into Janet. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. it is so well done. So Bill says that it's his house and he's come to see his family. He won't move on because he's not a heaven man. And uh, Ed pulls out his crucifix necklace and Bill screams and he's help it let go. Like, okay, whatever. And like the whole episode's over. I like it too because the focus shifts in the background while yeah. it's holding the crucifix as well. Yeah, because that's when he's doing the crucifix, that's when we've, with the morph is complete. So she spits out the water. But uh, Lorraine's not picking up on any spirits in the house. So she's not quite sure what's going on. So uh, that night, Janet wakes up on the ceiling and uh, <laughs> she sees Bill walk upstairs and she gets pulled through the ceiling into the chain shut room. Right. And that was a practical shot. Okay. Really? How'd they do it? They built the room upside down, had her laying on the floor with a trap door. Okay. So, and I'm there's, there's CGI touch up on it, obviously, but I was yay. Yay for practical effects. I'm have to watch the special effects (laughs) doc or something on this. So all the crosses start slowly turning upside down, which I love the idea of the scene, but every single cross turns clockwise. Could I have some fucking variety, please? But here's my least favorite thing in that scene. It's a cool scene. It was in the fucking trailer. Ah, bothered me. The so you I knew it say, was coming. It loses its effect. I meant to say during the first conjuring, when the mom's crawling up the stairs in the basement, the door's locked, and the hands come through and clap. That was in the yeah, trailer that too. Was in the trailer. It's like, oh, don't put the fucking good <laughs> shit in there. So Bill attacks. Peggy can't get into the locker room. He jumps out of the corner of the bottom of the fucking screen and makes you shit your shorts, right? Yeah. Like, it's fucking terrifying. And she's basically got the uh, curtain wrapped around her neck, getting mm-hmm. choked out. And uh, they get in there just in time to free her. We uh, end up finding out from Mr. Gross and uh, 
I think it's they're out to lunch. It's Mr. Gross and Anita are out with the Warrens. And he's like, I looked this up. He lived in the house, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And he's like, yep, all public records that could have been easily obtained by anyone and all this shit. She's such the hardcore skeptic. There was no Internet back then, though, so it's not so easily obtained by a small (laughs) child. (laughs) And uh, that everything so far that's been seen would be easy to fake. And uh, the Warrens believe that it's a family in trouble. She's not picking up on anything, but they still believe it's a family in trouble. They should help. They tell the family to treat it like a bully at school and they have to stand up for themselves. And they have this bonding moment where, like, they take the family out shopping and they come back and with the Elvis record, but the fucking record player ain't working. Because that was the thing, that they love dad's music. That's, like, the only thing they missed about him. I love the whole scene because, like, you know, the way Lorraine's portrayed in this movie, I, I just fucking love every bit of it. I love Vera's performance on it. But she, what she say, like, we got to help this family be a family again. Yep. And I really, I dug the line. I, I dig all the fucking family dynamics in this one. And, you know, they take them out shopping. I just, I just, I don't know. It's like, I hope you don't mind American culture. You know, and it was funny to see the Elvis record because we're from Memphis. You know, it's so like yeah. it's Elvis fucking everything. Here. Yeah. And they were Elvis fans and everything. And he is like, you know, let me play that guitar. And it hasn't been touched. Who knows how long that's into him, but it's whatever. And um, <laughs> <laughs> me being an asshole. But, you know, they do. I can't help falling in love with you. And there's the nice tight shots between Ed and, and Lorraine. And it and looks you, like a portrait family episode. Yeah. yeah and you really get the, the, the love vibe there. But the crew comes back. This time of video cameras. <laughs> this is where we get the shot of Ed in the kitchen with the dude with this giant fucking over the shoulder camera. He's like, I can't believe how small and light it is. When I, when I saw that part in theaters, I fucking died laughing. And I was like, the only fucking person in the room laughing. Like, like do you guys not get it? It's, it's ironic. It's a giant fucking heavy camera. <laughs> exactly. Love that joke, man. And um, his the way he says it too, because the way he plays Ed is like some of the some characters he plays are very similar from yeah. being Night Owl and Watchmen to evil fucking Josh in the second Insidious, and even being I can't think of his name King Orin or whatever the fucking bad guy character he plays in in Aquaman right like they're kind of similar I don't like his bad guy as much but I fucking love his good guy is Ed. Yeah. And he's, even he's the guitar scene, like he, he, he preps the lip for the fucking Elvis, you know, fucking lip curl. Yeah. And he starts doing like a shitty Elvis impersonation. And it's just, it's fucking, <laughs> I don't know. He, he plays a good, good guy. Yeah. Right. That, that's a strong point. Well, and then after the camera scene, we've got, uh, he's fixing the sink and cause that's what he does. He fixes things. And, uh, he tells Janet the story about how, when he was little, something grabbed him out of his bed and he went to his dad and his dad said, you're going right back in there. And, uh, he took his crucifix and, uh, he banished whatever it was and now he keeps it with him. But he ends up kind of doing the same thing about how his dad didn't believe him. Nobody else believed him. And when I met someone that did believe me and Janet cuts him off and says, you married her. And he's like, oh, I see you've heard this story. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so that's the the part B to the part A that we got earlier. There's a scene with Mr. Gross talking to Lorraine about how when his daughter died, that something happened that he felt like was her trying to contact him. And uh, no matter what's here, you know, sometimes you just got to have faith and help the family. There's this, the things being built for it to fail. Right. To have to hearken back to this. And uh, fix it, Felix. I mean, Ed goes to fix the leak in the basement. And, um, Peggy goes down there with him and she ends up getting attacked and bit by something in the water. And Ed finds a dental partial and it's a match for the bite. I think while they're still down there is when the kids hear this noise in the kitchen 
and the the son Johnny goes to investigate, and they're all like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "We have to stand up to it, just like they said." It, it's a cute scene. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes in the kitchen. All the knives are stabbed into the fucking table, and he turns around, and they're like, "We don't know where Janet went. She just disappeared." And then turn again. And Janet, I don't know if she's up on the stove or whatever, but she's crouched down like an animal ready to attack, holding a knife. Oh, she's a fucking feral child. <laughs> yeah, it is creepy as fuck. And uh, the door slams shut. No one can get in the kitchen. Shit's going bonkers in the kitchen. Eventually, Ed makes it in. The kitchen is destroyed. And then um, some assistant dude, because the crew's there, you know, they're filming and shit now. He's going around with a microphone. And he finds uh, possessed Janet in this closet, like behind pipes and shit. She's bent like a fucking pretzel so yeah. unnaturally. Goddamn Russian fucking acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> and Ed pulls out his crucifix and we hear Bill talking through Janet again saying, me won't me like whatever. Anyways. And that's part of the fun thing about this is the, the stuff like that is like a why and then a head scratcher. And I don't understand this. This is dumb. And I love how it all comes together. It also, it happens so fast. Sometimes you don't get to think about it enough. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I had to go back just to make sure like, is that what happened? And okay, that is what happened. But unfortunately, Anita's like, it's fake. She's faking all of it. Here's the video of Janet destroying the kitchen. And you can see on the video footage that Janet, like Janet, normal Janet, destroying the kitchen. Yep, yeah, flipping over the table, throwing shit. So she confronts Peggy. Peggy gets pissed, throws everybody out because uh, Anita even suggests that Peggy's in on it. And she wants everyone out. The Warrens, everyone. So Mr. Gross and the neighbor dude plead with the Warrens, but they're like, look, if the church sees that, you're fucked. There's nothing more we can do. Yeah, because like it'll just, they can't be a part of a scandal. The church can't. So Exactly. So uh, they have the neighbor guy drive them to the bus station and um, Margaret, um, while they're gone, uh, Margaret confronts Janet and she's like, why did you do that? And she's like, because it said it would kill all of you if I didn't make them leave. And uh, as the uh, the Warrens are going to load up on the train, Ed drops some tapes and the two tapes kind of cross each other, which is kind of cheesy, but whatever. And uh, he gets out two tape recorders. He plays the one tape. And it's the first recording of Bill. Help it let go. And then he plays the other one. And it's me won't me. And the first time I still didn't even catch it then. And he rewinds it. And that's when he says, if I'm right about this. And he hits play on both of them. And we get the two different crucifix encounters of help me. It won't let me go. And it's like this big aha moment. And all of a sudden Lorraine is slammed with a vision. Right. Like everything suppressing her powers. The entire investigation has been lifted. And uh, she talks to Bill and uh, she asks Bill for help. And all Bill says is, I'm given and I'm taken. I was there at your first breath. You didn't ask for me, but I'll follow you till death. And then the nun grabs Bill and Lorraine wakes up from the vision. And uh, she tells Ed that Bill's just a pawn. He's enslaved by a demon. And it's right. this demon she's been seeing. It's just neat that like when the crucifix is out, it suppresses the demon and Bill, the ghost Bill, who's. Like basically the demon's bitch can break through and like fucking get me out of exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> and all that's awesome. And Is he breaking through from the further though? Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the house, my notes are funny. Margaret gets thrown around and Janet floats. Um, <laughs> but that's what happened. Mar- Margaret gets thrown around the fucking room. Janet's floating in the air, fucking laughing all demonic and shit. And uh, Peggy gets locked out of the house getting the kids out. 
and by the kids, I mean everyone but Janet, because, you know, it's like, what the fuck? She's just floating there screaming. I, I, I'm getting the rest of them out. I've had enough. And um, on the ride back, I wish I could remember the neighbor husband's name because he's the one driving them back. But whatever. Ed solves the riddle. He's like, it's your name. And they get to the house and uh, Ed tries to get in through the front. They can't get in through the front door. He tries to get in through the front window and like the furniture gets thrown to block yeah. the window and shit. But he ends in ends up getting in through the basement. Doesn't the big neighbor smash the door in for him? Or he tries to on one of them. Because like, I can't get it. And the big guy's like, I got it. Yeah. Well, the big guy ends up going to get an axe. Yeah. And comes back. And Ed breaks through the floor, which is dumb, but whatever. And uh, The soon- floor? Yeah, because he goes in through the basement and then crawls up through the kitchen oh, floor. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And as soon as he gets through, he gets hit in the face by fucking steam. And so now he's partially blind and running through the house. Lorraine realizes that she knows the demon's name. And uh, she needs her Bible. And it's Valak. And then we have the lightning strike out front. And it strikes the tree by the front door, leaving the stump in the shape of what impaled Ed in her vision. Right. And so she's freaking out because I think when he was going in, we get a moment between the two of them where he's stuck on one side of the door of the basement. She's on the other side and like, I can't lose you. And it's like, well, we can't let this happen to this family and all that kind of crap. And uh, I mean, it's beautiful. Um, (laughs) But uh, Ed makes it upstairs and uh, he sees the crooked man leave. We get the scene with the crooked man leaving the zoetrope, which is kind of quick, neat encounter. And uh, he makes it to Janet's room. And Janet's standing up on the ledge in the window and fucking the window blows out from the outside in and cuts Janet's face all up. And she leaps. Ed catches her just in time to keep her from falling and grabs onto the same curtain that was choking her ass out earlier. So he's hanging halfway out, holding on to her. And uh, Lorraine makes it into the room, but bam, Valak's there. And fucking Valak screams and pins Lorraine to the wall. And I hate this because it's kind of the wimpy way out at the end of the both the movies. It's like... Oh, no, I cast you out. Credits. Um, <laughs> the end. And it really is. It's, you know, it's like, I know your name. And she calls Valak out by name, condemns it back to hell. I kind of, I mean, I like how they use the old, you have power over a demon if you have its name yeah. thing. Like, it, it was neat to see him throw that in there. But uh, she rushes over the window and grabs Ed and Janet, saves him from the fall. Uh, the next morning in the back of the ambulance, Ed gives Janet his crucifix. And he says, this was given to me. And when you grow up, so, well, this was given to me and I'm giving it to you because you need it. And one day you'll grow up and find someone who needs it and you can give it to them. And uh, we get a pop up of the real Peggy lived the rest of her days in the house and died in the same chair. And we cut back to the Warrens and Ed adds the zoetrope to the collection and credits. It's just all really well done. It's another over two hour movie. And uh, I don't know the scares in it work for me. I love the feeling out of whack just because it's quote unquote foreign, you know, just with the accents and small dreary house and this dreary atmosphere through the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it changed the dynamic a little bit to make it definitely not feel the same, but yeah. I, I think it could have stood on its own. It's really interesting. We're here to talk about James Wan as a director and like, I don't know about this movie. I feel like he's fucking honed his craft. He's hammered everything in a place. Yep. I mean, to me, I still prefer insidious as a horror movie, but I think this was his best movie to date because this had drama. It had horror. It had romance. Like it had fucking everything in it and it blended it all perfectly. You even got a couple of funny lines. Yeah. Right. And, um, Everything was really done. Like his camera tricks had gotten a little bit better. I mean, I know the cinematographers and the special effects guys have some parts to do with that, but James Wan had to say, you know, I, 
I want her to fade into the old, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, he's, well, he's came up with that more subtle stuff. Watching and, the behind the scenes on it and his involvement in pre-production and construction and everything. This is the first time it really feels like it's all already up here. And now he knows how to get it made. Like watching the stuff with like Sam Raimi, like people say they work with him and they're like, I don't understand. Like he sees everything inside his head and knows what he needs to make that happen. And this movie is where I think you see James Wan reach that point. And it sucks to say, you know, we talked about like, and we get here and he doesn't, hasn't made another horror movie. I mean, as a producer behind the scenes stuff, absolutely. But, um, I don't know, man, maybe it was like, I'm going to step away from this on a high note, be it forever or be it for some time. I don't know. It's nice to think of it that way, but in actuality, though, I mean, he had to make the Conjuring two contractually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he went and turned down that Aquaman job. <laughs> so, no. I'd I'd really love to see him return back to horror directing. I mean, he's he's still got a part in it now. I'm sure he will at some point, but I'd like to see him approach some other horror that he hasn't done yet. But then again, I don't think he could make a slasher movie. I don't think it's his jam, so to speak. It needs more story. It yeah. needs a family dynamic. That's like a thing he we need, does. We need, if you're listening, we need James Wan and Mike Flanagan to get together <laughs> and write and direct a movie. He does have some projects coming up, horror-wise, but none of them directing. directing. I mean, the only thing he has listed that he's for sure directing right now is Aquaman 2. Yeah. Like, he's got Annabelle Comes Home, which I saw an interview with him about it. He's fucking pumped about that one. He wrote it. He okay. didn't direct it. So he wrote it, and he's the producer. And I bet he... Probably sideline directed that motherfucker a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They're, they just announced this the other day. They're making a rebooted Mortal Kombat movie, and he's the oh producer. God. What? Yeah. Okay, I'm interested. <laughs> and it's going to be an Atomic Monster movie. So okay, the Tommy Knockers, and he's the producer. Okay. So as as a movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Nun two producer. I know you didn't like the Nun. I, <sighs> I really didn't like the Nun. I enjoyed it in the theater. Like I said, a lot of these movies, I don't know how much of it's because you didn't get to see it in the theaters. The Nun I watched in theaters. Oh, did you? Oh, yes. Okay. I liked it in theaters. Uh, it's one of those, I'll probably never buy it or watch it again unless yeah. we cover it. But, and I'm sure we will. We might do the whole Conjuring verse at some point <laughs> in the Crooked Man. But he's producing and writing that one again. None of these are director. And at first I was thinking it was kind of odd to see all these writing credits, but really, I mean, he co-wrote Saul and he does the story writing, just not the screenplay writing yeah. on most of his movies anyways. So I don't know. I mean, like he's, he's at the least, idea guy. He hasn't ran away from horror yet and it's hard for him to do running atomic monster. Like yeah. he's going to be a part. Well, and that's the thing, like in the interviews and stuff, the man loves the genre. Let's, let's get that shit right, right there. Um, he just always from the beginning said, I want to make all, like you said earlier, I want to make all kinds of movies. I, I want to do action movies. I want to do romantic comedy. I, I just like film. Right. And Lee Winnell's been interviewed recently. It was probably cause upgrade came out, but he was saying, you know, yeah, I'd love to make another movie with James, but he's getting to make his big blockbusters. He's always wanted to make. Yeah. Or his big action movies. He's always wanted to make. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if we'll see them part pair back up or I mean, they're friends. Like, out before they were making movies, they were friends. So yeah. I'm sure we will at some point. I did want to point out, I, I pulled this up. Uh, the five rules. Yeah, yeah it, it's his five rules for making a successful horror movie. And uh, they're kind of neat. One, horror doesn't have to be expensive, right? So you can go low budget. We know that. Turn classic horror on its head. And that's the, you know, adding different elements to the existing element, you know, like your demon here, your witch there Yeah. develop great set pieces. And if you think about all those movies, you go back to Saul, you got the reverse bear trap. Yep. Okay. You go to 
dead silence, you got the fucking dummy. Yep. And technically, if you go back to Saul, you got the reverse bear trap and you got Billy the puppet. True. Right? And they both bring out like in your memories constantly. Right. If you go to Insidious, uh, you got the uh, the gas mask with the tube. It's like a very like people always remember how fucked up it is to just see that in yeah. there. That that and the absence of set with the complete nothingness of the further. Yeah. Yeah. The conjuring you have. Well, in the first one, you've got the tree. That is an iconic set piece. It's the music box. And then in the second one, I'd go so as far as to even saying the layout of the house. Uh, the nun painting was his set piece. And the nun that's, painting. That's the memorable freaky set piece from it. And then Insidious 2, oh, I, w- I had all these memorized. I mean, you got just so many, the bride's costume. The dice. The dice. Like, there's so many freaky little things. He always has the set piece in some way that just jumps out at you. He says, undermine your audience as number four. Yeah, you didn't get me on that one. It kind of goes back to that, like, flipping the script on its head a little bit. You know, it's like, he actually, he does get you on that one. You said, like, like the couch, you're, like, waiting for something to pop up behind the couch. And it doesn't. And that's yeah. what he's saying. Like, everybody's so inundated with the jump scares and stuff. Like, you know when they're coming. So just put it in a different spot. No, no, no. I'm with you on that on the Conjuring ones. I w- that was specifically a jab at the Insidious movies. <laughs> he, he did some good ones in that one, too. He did a good job, like, giving you a jump scare and then giving you another one six seconds later. Like, you know, like you're not expecting that. Nobody does two back to back. Nobody goes full retard. <laughs> and uh, appeal to primal human fears. Like, that's always going to work. Claustrophobia is his key one. Yeah. I mean, now that one, I can definitely see that. But it's, I'm not joking, man. I really would love to see him and Mike Flanagan work together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're like the two, like, really big horror guys to me right now, which it's sad to say James Wan's not really a part of that. But he is. He's just not a director anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Atomic Monster movies coming out that he has shit to do with. So, well, this we'll is like, to see. We, we talked about before, you know, like, you know, what do we have that's saving us right now in horror and Blumhouse got brought up, of course. And even Blumhouse had a touch with at the beginning of this. Yeah. Until he had his own company. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so is this the next little, the little studio we're going to have that's, you know, helping continue our resurgence of horror. Ooh, James Wan writing and producing a movie that Mike Flanagan directs. See, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. It's fucking, Oh, it'll never fucking happen, but that'd be so cool. (laughs) I'm just, I'm glad we finally got to do him because from the beginning of the podcast, we decided like directors, I've said James Wan almost every time. And, and I had a feeling it would take like six or eight hours to do it. Yeah. Which is <laughs> mostly true. Um, the, the amount of movies and the amount of detail we knew we were going to talk about in a minute. And it would just, anytime I was talking to a director, it would never line up with, it's like, well, we just did a multi-part franchise or yeah. we just did a multi-part category. And, uh, I mean, with the kid coming and us needing multi-parters right now and us trying to record episodes ahead, it just had to happen. And speaking of recording ahead and the kid coming, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize in advance because we have a, quite a few things going on here. <laughs> Normally, we record on a weekend. This is a weekday after work, and we're both exhausted going in recording. As of right now, it's like 1 o'clock in the fucking morning. Yep. We're still sitting here recording. So if we sound... i got to be up at 6 for work. How about you? Uh, 6.30. <laughs> but uh, if we sound exhausted, I'm sorry. We're trying to give it our all. I didn't get to do as much research as I normally do. Um, I feel like the research is still pretty good, but I didn't get to do as much like proofreading to memorize it a bit. One thing I want to touch on real quick, you know, like you said, you know, James Wan is something that you've been wanting to do. And uh, I know on one hand, it may seem like we kind of double dipped with the haunted house 
but this was more than that. This was the director, and definitely Saul's not a haunted house movie, and Dead Silence <laughs> is not a haunted house movie. It does veer off into that by the time you get into the Conjuring movies. But I, uh, say la vie. When we picked them, I didn't even really think about the poltergeist like similarities. I didn't until I was watching the movies, and I yeah. kept going Amityville, poltergeist, Amityville, poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I don't know. This guy's honed his craft. He can do it from all directions. I, I haven't seen Furious 7, but I feel like I have to check it out now. <laughs> Just because um, it's him? Yeah. Fucking Aquaman was good. Like, it's yeah. it's a DC movie. They're not yeah. my favorite. It, yeah. it's, it's not a Marvel movie, but it was fucking good. He did his, his own touch on there, and you could feel it. You could feel his touch. <laughs> yeah, I could feel his touch right here. That sounds like a good time. But now that we're done with our director, you'll have to tune in next time as we go back to categories and we cover monsters. I don't know what they are. I don't know where they came from. Yep, and it's going to be a little all over the place since we can because we are not talking Universal Classic Monsters. We're just talking movie monsters. We decided to go ahead and do a couple extra movies on this one, too, because there's there's a few of them to do that we might not could split off to something else. <laughs> but as usual, keep sending your comments and questions to sbyspodcast at gmail.com. Give us a follow at sbyspodcast on Instagram and Twitter. Keep spreading the word. Keep coming back. Thanks, guys. Thanks. After everything we've seen, there isn't much that rattles either of us anymore. But this one, this one still haunts me.